Listen. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You play to win the game. Next fan up. I want winners. Featuring Pod Vader and the super fans. They are who we thought they were. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Next Fan Up, the podcast by the fans for the fans. I'm Justin. I'm the Seahawks super fan. I'm going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting tonight. Uh, Nick is out on assignment, so that means that I'm going to be hosting pretty much everything start to finish. Got a lot of great games. Guys, this is the last week this season. That's huge. Um, This is going to be the most you'll hear from a lot of these super fans for a little while, so thank you for sticking with us all season long. And if you join us midway through, we're glad to have you as well. There's some really big playoff implications, which we'll talk about as we go. We'll talk a little bit about some of the off-season outlooks, kind of quick reactions as the seasons come to an end. Let's go ahead and start things off, though, with my game. Since I'm on here first, I get to do it that way, and I'll keep it short and sweet. Quick recap of the Seahawks taking on the 49ers. This was a game that the Seahawks weren't sure if they had to win or not. The playoff scenario here was a Seahawks win and a Falcons loss. Give the Seahawks the two seed. Uh, any other scenario, put the Seahawks at the uh, NFC West Championship, but I believe at the four seed. Once it became clear that the Falcons were going to win their game in New Orleans, then this game became pretty meaningless. Still a pretty entertaining game. Here's what I was looking for. I wanted to see the offense move the ball, which they did in spurts. Wanted to see the the defense hold up pretty well, which they didn't. Um, they they gave up. They had some turnovers. That pass rush is still excellent. Michael Bennett, who has a new contract, looked like Michael Bennett, which was great to see. Frank Clark is an absolute monster. So you've got three, honestly, incredible players on the defensive line. So I'm really happy about that. But the back end without Earl Thomas, it's it's just a shell of its former self. Um, honestly, uh, uh, I am more sure about how good of a player Earl Thomas is now that he's been gone for a couple weeks than I ever was before. Because, my goodness, this defense doesn't even come close to resembling what it did with him in uh, back when he was in. But let's go back to the offense. Uh Russell Wilson was efficient. He he made great great reads, made good throws. He was elusive. Um, still too much pressure. That offensive line is really struggling, which is not what I wanted to see at this point. Um, I, I hope that they would gel as we hit the stretch run, and that hasn't been the case, which is unusual for the Seahawks. But uh, Paul Richardson, who's filling in for an injured Tyler Lockett, who was, a, I want to say, second or third round pick a couple years ago, is playing really well. He's that same kind of archetype, that really fast, kind of good route runner guy. Uh, and they're using him the same way that they would use Tyler Lockett. He's not quite as good, but he's doing really well. So I'm very happy that we've got him to, to take that place. Running game continues to be non-existent, though. Uh, it seems like Thomas Rawls is banged up with a different ailment every week, which gives me pause for concern. Rookie Alex Collins did an okay job, uh, just kind of a thumper. Um, but, you know, we need to see CJ Procise get back. Hopefully he's back in a couple of weeks, and hopefully we're still playing in a couple of weeks. Um, other than that, though, special teams missed another PAT. That's been a disaster, which really gives me a lot of concern. Not a lot of people have talked about it, but we're, we have a different long snapper this year than we've had the last couple of years. I wonder if that might not be part of it. San Francisco, though, they were game. They came out to play. Uh, Colin Kaepernick was, um, was pretty good for chunks of the game. Um, made some nice throws. Uh, did a lot of work with his legs. Gave up the ball too much, though. I still don't think he's a starting quarterback in this league. Chip Kelly, I don't know. Um, I'm not a fan of one-and-done uh, coaches. I think that's not enough time, especially when your previous coach was one-and-done. Um, that is organizational dysfunction if I've ever seen it, but it sounds like that's the route that they're going. Um, so if it is, uh, dark days ahead for San Francisco. Um, whereas my Seahawks going into the playoffs, it looks like we're probably going to have the Lions come into town. 
which is fine. Um, I'm pretty confident in a home game. I'm not real confident in the team as it's playing right now on the road, though. We'll get to that once we, we cross that bridge. But at least for now, I've got my, my Seahawks in the playoffs. I really can't complain. All right, guys, this is Justin back with Robert, the Buffalo Bills superfan. Robert, I am sure that you were glued to your seat with the deep-seated playoff implications of this game. Oh, uh, you know they sell you the whole seat, but you only need the edge whenever the uh, Buffalo Bills play the uh, <laughs> New York Jets in a uh, meaningless game in Week 17. So, what 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 does the 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 winner get? Like the, you're the official kings of New York or something? Yeah, uh, I, I well, the the Bills are the only team that actually plays in New York, so uh, they are the official kings in New York by default. Uh, but um, all it, it's you know, if the Bills lose, which they did, um, all it is is better draft positioning. Yeah, so walk me through this real quick. I, uh, I'll be honest. I picked the Bills to win this game, uh, mainly because I, I think the, the Jets uh, have had given up on the season. Um, oh, boy, I was wrong. 30-10, to 10, the Jets win. What what happened? Uh, well, they started EJ Manuel. Oh, okay. Uh, right. well, yeah, recap over. It. Let's shut it down. <laughs> that, that pretty much looks good. Um, he's... They wanted to, well, what they said, you know, uh, during the press conference, obviously they fired Rex Ryan this week. Uh, so uh, Anthony Lynn, who's going to be their coach, um, once it's all said and done, is, um, you know, he referred to it as a business decision. And it is because uh, if he were to get hurt during this game, um, they would be on the hook no matter what for the $30.5 million that he's owed over the next uh, two seasons. Um, you know, so they played E.G. Manuel. Um, E.G. Manuel, not a good NFL quarterback. Uh, so there were a lot of bad plays um, during the game. They did not look well. Uh, funny how the Bills' rushing attack, which has uh, been the number one attack all year, doesn't look as good when you don't have a running quarterback, um, you know, uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, they couldn't really get much done. LaShawn McCoy got hurt um, during the first quarter. It ended up being a high ankle issue. He wanted to come back, but obviously they weren't going to put him back on the field. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it was a worthless game, but it was just bad to watch. Uh, the one good thing, or I don't even know if it's good, uh, but Cardell Jones actually got on the field for the Bills, uh, which uh, made uh, at least Buffalo Twitter pretty happy. Um, he did have a nice 64-yard pass uh, to um, to Justin Hunter. Other than that, he looked pretty pedestrian. But, you know, he was brought in as a super raw guy, so they don't expect him to do anything for a couple of years. Uh, that being said, the super raw guy who they don't expect to do anything for a couple of years still played less than – played about a quarter and outgained E.J. Manuel in yardage. So, obviously, E.J. Manuel is not the future of this team. That's the only thing we really learned. Yeah, so uh, let me ask you a little, a little bit about Tyrod Taylor. Um, I, I understand the logic behind benching him because you have that big guarantee – do you take that as a sign that they don't want him back next year? What What's his status going to be? Uh, according to the local media, they don't want him. I think it's a mistake uh, just because, I mean, this is the first time in a long time the Bills have had an actual average quarterback. Like, there are things he doesn't do well, you know, but there are things that he does, you know, well. Like, he can throw, he can throw the deep ball well. You know, because of his legs, it gives you a distinct advantage in the run game, not only just being scared of what he can do, but because the game planning for that, what it opens up for the rest of your running backs. And, you know, 
it it just you know he they're worried about paying him thirty over the next couple of years. I know that if they get through the third day of free agency and he's still on the team, he's basically on the team till two thousand twenty. But I mean, there's no what's out there. I mean, there's no. It's not like we have a top two or three pick. We're not getting Mitch Trubinsky, uh, the kid from UNC. Uh, so whatever. I mean, we we saw today what happens when you have a different quarterback under there. E.G. Manuel looked like garbage, and the running game looked like garbage because of it. So I'm all for keeping Tyrod. I hope they do. I don't think they're going to, uh, but I would really like to see them, you know, kind of kind of keep him just because, I mean, he's the best quarterback the Bills have had since Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's well said, and that's, of course, where's the, the hard part. You know, I had pretty limited exposure to Tyrod Taylor just when he was playing the Seahawks this year, and he looked really good in that game. Um, so at least from my perspective, he seems like at least a league average quarterback, which goes a really long way. Um, yeah, you know, man, this this uh, Buffalo Bills team, I, I wanted to, to like him. I just hated the coaching, and, and I think that that kind of came to uh, fruition. So uh, the season has just ended. This is, you know, within like a half hour after the last game of the year ending. So what's your outlook for, for next year? What do you what do you expect to happen? Um, I think uh I think Anthony Lynn's gonna end up being brought on as the guy. Um they seem to really like him. It came up today that apparently he's had um secret meetings with the GM for the past month and a half um <laughs> without Rex knowing. Um Ooh. just about yeah, about uh personnel and things like that. Um, which honestly, I was not a fan of Rex kind of from day one, so I could care less. Um, I think that, and plus the reports were out today that wherever he goes, uh, Bradley, um, who you know as a former defensive coordinator, Seattle is going to go. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that because I think the personnel for the Bills lends itself better to a you know that kind of four three under. Um, as opposed to the weird 3-4 that they were playing uh, this year and last year. If they don't keep Tyrod, they are going to have money to spend, which is kind of nice, but I'd rather they just keep Tyrod. Um, You know, and then we just kind of get into the draft. I think, you know, they need to get their hands on a safety, at least one. Uh, they, there's, you know, there's a little, there's a little bit of work to do for the Buffalo Bills yet um, in the off season this year. I think there's a decent amount of talent on the team, but I don't think, you know, the way Miami has kind of ascended in the AFC East, and obviously New England has been kind of the gold standard. You know, there's no way that no matter what happens this offseason, you can think you're any better than the third best in the division unless things really tend to break your way. Yeah, uh, I, I suppose that's a re- really good point. It's definitely a challenging division to, to try and win in. Well, there you have it, guys. That's the Bill season coming to a kind of a dud of an end. Uh, Robert, thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, this is Justin, the Seahawks superfan, here with Chicago Tom. Tom. What can I say? The good news is the season is over. The bad news is your team got absolutely trounced again. Um, what? Uh, as we're looking at it now, it looks like a 38-10 to 10 victory for the Vikings. How did that happen? Well, uh, I can sum it up in one word. Turnovers. 
Uh, the Bears had turned the ball over nine times in the previous two games coming into this one, and uh, they turned it over five times today. And uh, when you do that, you are not going to win very many football games, and they certainly uh, did not come close today. Um, they uh, gave the ball away a lot the last three games. They have uh, the NFL's fewest number of takeaways themselves uh, at 11. They had won this game to make it 11. Um, they set a franchise low last year with 17. This obviously beats that. So uh, when you're not taking the ball away and you're giving it away at the kind of rate that they've been giving it away, you're not going to win many football games. That really summarizes the major factor behind the, the loss, uh, really the disaster that this was for them. Yeah, I know. I think after the first game or so, there was a little bit of optimism towards Matt Barkley. Um, you you were very clear from the start that he's a backup at best. I think these last couple of games have proved it. He, you know, in his six games this year, he has twelve interceptions, two more today to go along with three fumbles. And you're definitely right; you're not going to win a lot of football games that way. On the other side of the ball, though, if I just look at the scoreboard, I see um, that the Vikings put up thirty-eight points. So I'm thinking that their offense must have been pretty good today. What uh, what were you seeing there? They they were they were okay. Uh, I I wouldn't call them dominant. Uh, they uh, they ran the ball reasonably well. They had over four yards per carry. It was four point four. Um, and uh, the guy that really stood out to me today was Kyle Rudolph, a guy that at the beginning of the year I was really high on. I really thought that uh, he was going to be a major cog in this offense. And by the end of the year, he definitely was. And it showed today uh, he had a wonderful game, well over 100 yards, uh, uh, 11 receptions. Um, he, uh, the Bears really couldn't cover him. I mean, they didn't have a safety on the field or a linebacker on the field uh, or a combination that that really kept up with him effectively today. And uh, the, he uh, combined with Bradford to do a lot of, a lot of damage uh, in terms of uh, keeping the Vikings rolling today. Um, yeah. And so I, I'd say it was a reasonably good offensive day for them. Um, it wasn't a great offensive day. I thought they were beatable, beatable but uh, certainly they were better than the Bears. Um, the now, Bears... As far as go, go ahead. the Bears go, though, I, I, I really want to ask you about somebody in particular. Um, is a player who's kind of intrigued me this year. Let, let me let me just start with this. Who's the best wide receiver on the Chicago Bears? Oh, Cam Meredith is. Yeah, uh, who, yeah. who is this guy? He's been he, awesome this year. He's a he's a converted college quarterback that they uh, they picked up last year, and he did flash last year. He's got a, a little bit of height on him, and uh, so he's a relatively big receiver and. Um, uh, had a little bit of speed, and everybody saw a little bit of potential in him, and he really blossomed this year, um, especially in the absence of Alshon Jeffrey. And even when Alshon came back, defenses really concentrated on on him. And uh, uh, Meredith really picked up the slack, and he had a he had a really good good game be- between or a really good end of the season between him and 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 uh, uh, and Howard. Uh, the running back, I, I really think that uh, they do they do have some uh, really good potential on offense. Uh, Jordan Howard 
had 135 yards today. They they did run the ball pretty well today. Uh, I meant to mention that. That is one good thing that the Bears did, and and I thought that was really promising. Of course, it wasn't enough when you're giving the ball away, but uh, between him and Cam Meredith, I I see a future here. And uh, uh, you know, you get Kevin White back. Maybe Jeffrey comes back. I don't know how much money you know he'll he'll accept from the Bears. But uh, there, there are some, some guys on the offense that give you a little bit of hope. Um, but they're going to have to play better than this. And they need to find a quarterback really, really badly. Yeah, that seems to be the key there. I mean, it looks like you've got a strong uh, uh, wide receiving position. Um, Howard is, really, is a really nice player. I think if Langford is the backup, that's not a bad situation. But yeah, it almost seems like it's kind of a plug-and-play situation for a quarterback where he could do really well. Um, so uh, j- uh, just real, real quick, final thought um, as it wraps up, um, uh, opinion on the Bears season this year. Well, uh, very disappointing. Um, you know, they're, they're using injuries as an excuse. They, they say it's not an excuse, but they're using it as an excuse. And really, you can't do that. If you're going to compete year after year you have to be able to survive uh, a rash of injuries even to the extent that that they had them and they did have 19 guys on IR and a lot of those guys were starters um they uh they had no depth going into the year we I did know that and I did make that known and I knew that if they had a lot of injuries they were going to be in trouble and they were uh but uh they still have to build this roster it, it is very evident uh, they have no depth, and uh, they're not going to have any depth unless they start pushing from the top down and finding guys who can compete to start and making guys who lose that competition into backups. Uh, and uh, it is evident to me that they need more players. They are more than one draft away, uh, and I, I really believe that it's at least two away from just being competitive in the division. Um, if they have a normal number of injuries last year and have a good 2017 draft, I think you're looking at eight and eight and, uh, you can build from there. Um, it was very hard to take anything positive away from this season other than Jordan Howard, uh, and maybe Cam Meredith, as you pointed out, um, there, there's potential here and there, but they need to get better all over the field. Um, they're, they're. Their starters are reasonably solid, but that's the best you can say about them. You can't even call them really good. And, uh, of course, there's nobody behind them uh, to take their place. So they have a lot of work to do on this team. That That is my takeaway from the season. They have a lot of work to do, probably more than most fans thought that they did, probably more than they really want to hear even right now. But they really do. I mean, it's not one draft away. It's just not. And they're going to have to be patient with John Fox and Ryan Pace, the general manager, and let them try to build it from the bottom up. I mean, they've hit rock bottom, and now, you know, they're going to try to just get better, and we'll see if they can do it. Well, there you have it, the Chicago Bears and the Vikings, both looking at some long, interesting off-seasons. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate you uh, being on here. Thanks, Justin. All right, this is Justin, the Seahawks superfan. This here, uh, this time I'm here with Scott, the Bengals superfan. Hey, how you doing, Scott? Good. How you doing? I'm doing good. Um, eagerly waiting the start of my team's game. Um, speaking of, of games, your Cincinnati Bengals were taking on your hated rival, the Baltimore Ravens. You guys ended up coming out on top in a game with far-reaching implications. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a matter of uh, 
well, actually nothing was on the line, being that both teams were already set in stone in the division standings. Both teams were eliminated from the playoffs. Really, it was one of those games where, you know, as Bengals fans, it was like you don't really want to root for your team to lose, but you kind of want a better draft pick, so you almost would have rather them lose. I don't I don't think in, in the end, I don't think they ended up losing any draft spots. I think they stay in the same spot, so I, I guess beating the Ravens and staying in the same spot is, I guess, as good as you could ask for. Yeah, that's the part that's always kind of the catch-22 this time of year if you're not in the playoffs. It's like, okay, well, winning doesn't really do anything for us. Um, but, but I mean, I don't, the way I, I, that I always looked at it was if you win, maybe that just means you're a slightly better team. And it's, you know, just call me crazy, but it's better to be a better team than a worse team. <laughs> well, I guess we're slightly better than today, so we got that to look. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that the big story from this game is going to be Steve Smith. This was his his last game before he hangs up his very angry cleats. Uh, uh, how did he perform today? Um, you know, I remember him having like two or three catches. There was one scuffle. You know, speaking of angry Steve Smith, he felt like he got hit late. Uh, there was a flag thrown. I don't think it was a late hit, but you know, whatever. He, he so he you know had his one angry outburst at least throughout the game. So if it is his last game, at least he went out kind of the way we've seen him play his entire career. But, um, you know, not, I, it was one of those games where it was like nothing exciting. I, you know, I mean, the, the final score ended up being 27 to, to 10 or um, whatever it was. It, the, only, the only scoring that happened in the, at least for the Bengals in the second half was a, a, a short a short uh, drive that was set up by the, the Ravens going for it on, on fourth down deep in their own territory, kind of a, you know, they got nothing to lose. So if not for that, the Bengals probably wouldn't have scored in the second half. So it was um, not a whole lot of exciting, excitement going on in the game. But uh, like you said, I guess it's good to, to win against one of your rivals. Yeah, uh, although one player I do want to ask you a little bit about. Um, so the, the, the fact of the matter is you're missing half of your offense, something like that, at this point. <laughs> Um, yeah, you yeah. could you could pr- field most of a Pro Bowl offense, I think, with some of the players that are gone. So uh, Rex Burkhead, though, he had a, a terrific game. Um, what what's his story? You know, that's one thing. A lot of Bengals fans have been frustrated with that situation. Me personally, I mean, I I thought he should have been the bigger part of the offense the last couple of years. I mean, the guy is he, he's talented as a runner. He's a he's a great pass catcher. He he's just one of those guys that just does everything well and always gets positive plays and. He was doing it again today. I mean, the Ravens have, I think, the second-best run defense. He went for over 100 yards for the first time in his, in his career. He was probably getting about five yards a pop. Um, he's active in the passing game. Unfortunately, he's a free agent. And, well, I hope the Bengals resign him if I'm Rex Burkhead, given the little bit of opportunities he's gotten here but behind Bernard and Hill. You know, I'm not sure Hill's fine, but uh, personally, he's better than Jeremy Hill at this point in time. I mean, he's getting about five yards a carry behind the same offensive line that Jeremy Hill is getting about two and a half a carry this year. So, um, you know, he offers more from a, you know, he's quicker than or than Hill. He's He offers more in the passing game. Um, I just don't know if Burkhead himself will re-sign with the Bengals just because I would imagine someone else will give him an opportunity to, if not start, at least be a running back by committee and have a pretty big role in their offense. Now the the big question for for Bengals fans seems to always be the same two people um, the quarterback and the head coach. Um, so season's just wrapped up. I'm kind of asking everybody sort of the same thing. What what are your thoughts uh, kind of overall in a, about those two in particular? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a constant debate in Cincinnati. Um, you know I think most Bengals fans w- would want to move on from Marvin Lewis. I mean 
he's given them the most successful run um, in their franchise history. Certainly they've had better playoff success under other, other coaches, but they've, they've never had a run of success like they have um, as far as you know, division wins, um, winning the division, uh, making the playoffs five of five years, uh, six of seven. Um, you know, from that standpoint, he's done a very good job. But it's just a team that looks stale and looks like they need a new voice. I don't think, knowing the organization the way I do, I don't think they'll move on from him. Uh, they're very loyal, and he's their most successful coach in the history of the franchise, so I think they'll bring him back. I don't think they should, but I think they will. As far as Dalton goes, I mean, I, I believe Dalton is a top 10 or 12 quarterback. You know, he's never the, the, the quarterback like a Roethlisberger, Brady, Manning, uh, Rodgers-type guy that's going to carry the team. He's not that player. He, he doesn't have the skills to be that player. But he's good enough to win with. You know, you just have to have things around him. Um, I think he's he's closer maybe to a, to a Russell Wilson than a I, I know that. Hey, careful now. Wilson. The Wilson has a has a Super Bowl. You know, but he's he's the you know physical tool wise. There's not anything he has that blows you away. Um, but he does a good job of managing the game. He just has to have talent around him. He's not the kind of guy that makes the talent around him better. So um, you know, I think they got a guy that they can win with. They just need. They, they just need to continue to build the talent around him. Well, there you have it. Another season coming to an end for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Going to be a really, really interesting offseason. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so, Scott, thank you for, for taking the time, and you enjoy your offseason. Absolutely. Uh, good luck with the Seahawks. Thank you. All right, this is Justin, the Seahawks superfan. I'm here with Greg, the Steelers superfan. Uh, my fo- uh, former Thursday regular buddy when he and Neil and I were holding down that fort. How are you doing, Greg? Great, Justin. How are you doing? Happy New Year's. Happy New Year to you, too. Um, so let's get right into it. This game, the Steelers versus the Browns. Game of the week? <laughs> For backup quarterbacks of the future, yes. It was uh, it was entertaining. I mean, Steelers held out a lot of guys, everyone knows, and the Browns played uh, scrappy, let's say that way. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited what I saw. Uh, good experience for some of the young guys, like uh, Demarcus Ayers. He was our sixth-round draft pick this year. He looked great, actually. And his best plays, unfortunately, uh, never actually happened because they were called back on penalties. So, but a lot of a lot of promising thing. Landry Jones maybe made himself some money today. And uh, Kobe Hamilton, the guy I've never heard of, uh, the wide receiver, he, uh, he looked great. He caught the game-winning touchdown in overtime. And, yes, we went to overtime against the Browns. But... We're on to my. We're moving on to Miami. <laughs> on to Miami. So let, let's talk a, a little bit of, uh, about that. We'll talk about this game just a little bit more. But um, it, so is is that set? Miami is the the first stop on your uh, playoff tour. Oh, they are coming to Pittsburgh. But yes, oh, that is nice. the first. So um, how are you feeling? But just quick knee jerk reaction. How are you feeling about uh, the playoffs so far? Well, uh, my whole feeling on the playoffs is going to depend on where Kansas City ends up finishing. If they end up being the five seed, I feel great about how things line up potentially for the Steelers. Uh, the draw of the Dolphins, I think, is great. Uh, the Steelers' defense has been playing much better. Uh, the running back for the Dolphins will not have 200 yards this time. And, you know, they're down their quarterback. I do like some of the weapons Miami has, but I think the Steelers, it's a good matchup for them, and I think they're going to uh, correct all the wrongs that happened in, what, week five this year or whatnot. Yeah, uh, the Steelers are looking really good right now, but hopefully people don't forget there was a really ugly stretch of football there for a while. Um, it's it's I think that the Steelers are as good as any team in the NFL. Um, that being said, I also think that you guys are at least a little bit lucky um, that you're in the division you're in this year. 
because um, your your record um, is not the record of a top tier NFL team. Um, speaking well, of not I mean, top tier, they're eleven and five. I mean, I think they have more wins than a lot of guys in the NFC. But that's true. They had a four game losing streak, and now they're on a seven game winning streak. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know, there's been a lot of comments made this week about uh, Mike Tomlin being a cheerleader or whatnot. But he's co- he's shown that he's a pretty good coach, and you know, he's not a great coach, but he's pretty good and. He's done his maybe his best job coaching this year. That defense from week one to today has like five new starters on it, and they're all looking great. And you know they're tough when they're when they have everyone that's left standing. I mean, they lost their defensive captain and Cam Haywood uh, halfway through the year, and Stephon Tuitt picked it up. And the young linebackers, the long, young secondary, the young defensive line have all all the uh, last three draft classes which were defensive heavy, all stepped forward these last few weeks. And I said in the preseason, I thought this would be a different defense by week eight. And that's what really made them a contender. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, I, I remember that whole offseason conversation. You, you nailed that exactly. Um, you were spot on with that one. Uh, speaking of losses, though, the Cleveland Browns, you got to see them twice this year. Are they, do they have a plan? Did they make any progress this year? I, I think we all anticipated them losing almost every game, if not every game this year. So that it's not necessarily, I don't think it's a lost season if that's what happened to them. Uh, do you, uh, what are you seeing out of them, though? Do you see any light at the end of that tunnel? I do. Um, I think their draft class, it's been, you know, much made that they had 14 picks, but they got some players in that draft. The problem is they got to shed all the, the other 40 guys on the roster to actually get some talent there. Hugh Jackson is the man with the plan. And you know what? They've been competitive. I don't know how many games they've lost after leading at halftime this year or come back to take the lead in the second half. But they, you know, through his first 14 weeks of the season, you know, everyone, the joke was that they're the best 0 and 10, 0 and 12 team that you've ever seen. But that's actually true. They were really, they were really good for about, you know, 75% of the games and they stunk then and lost it in classic Browns fashion. But it's a new year. And I bet if you would ask the average Browns fan, that if they would have beat the Steelers today, ended up with the first overall pick still, they would have considered it a great season. So <laughs> You're probably right about that. Uh, let's turn it back towards your Steelers a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking a ton about the playoffs. We've already talked a, a lot about it, but I, I do just want to get a quick sort of a preview of, of the, the offseason. Um, I'm trying to get one from everybody. What, do you, what, what needs to happen this, this offseason? Um, any huge names you're losing? I mean, the biggest thing that's going to happen is the status of uh, Martavis Bryant, in my opinion. Because if he is healthy, even though he has a limited route tree, and he does stay eligible to play, you know, being opposite of Antonio Brown with this offense, the sky's the limit for him. And that could really transcend this offense into historic offense. The offensive line is set for the next few years. The receiving core otherwise set. They seem to have a stable young tight ends. And the defense is coming around. So that... As unsexy as it sounds, that is exactly what I'm going to be watching. I, I don't want to see a March report where he's busted for the rest of his career. I want to see him come back and be 90% of the guy he was when he left. Okay, well, there you have it. Steelers are uh, getting ready for the playoffs. The Browns are getting ready for the number one pick. Um, and with that, Greg, I will leave you. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. This is Justin. This time I'm here with Kevin, the Cowboys super fan, after his Cowboys took on the Eagles. I say his Cowboys, really, it's his Cowboys second and third string taking on the Eagles, but that includes a token appearance by a very special someone. So how are you doing, Kevin? Uh, I'm doing pretty good right now. 
um, watching the last minute, 11 seconds of the, of, of the game, actually. I mean, we, we got on here. We, we jumped the gun a bit, but I, I'm just pretty safe to say with Sanchez at the helm, nothing nothing miraculous is going to happen here. So we, we might as well get on, right? Yeah, we we apologize in advance if we miss any butt fumbles or any comedy. Um, <laughs> we, we may have to go back and, and tack something on. Um, you know, the 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 final score of this game, which looks like it's going to be 27-13 Philadelphia winning, isn't really the story. I mean, playoff is uh, decided not, yeah. for both of these guys. Um, so there's a couple of big stories to me. First and foremost, let's talk about the quarterbacks a little bit. Um, start off with Dak Prescott, who looked really solid. Then Tony Romo came in. Um, so uh, why don't you just go ahead and, and tell us how Tony Romo looked in his uh, first game action of the season? Everyone knows I'm a big Tony guy. Um, so seeing, I, I didn't really even know if he was gonna gonna play today. To be honest, um, when we did our preview podcast, I, I said he wasn't gonna play because in the beginning of the week, Jerry Jones made it seem like behind a second string offense line that he wasn't, they weren't gonna play Romo. But he, he did get in today for for one series. And his first ball that he threw was a deep shot to uh, Terrence Williams. And right right out of the bat, it, the ball looked uh, – granted, it was an incomplete pass. The ball just looked so good coming out of his hands. Um, I've never – I haven't seen that much zip from a Tony Romo pass in years. Um, and I don't know if it is from not playing at all this year, I mean, just being, that being his first pass on the season. I mean, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But he just he, – he didn't – he didn't throw an incomplete pass the rest of the drive. Finished three for four with ending with a touchdown to Terrence Williams. Um, so, but he just looked really good. The offensive line protected great for him, even with Tyron Smith and Ronald Leary out. Um, so I was a little worried that maybe he would take a hit, but he didn't. Um, stood in the pocket, made made great dart throws. Um, he just looked really good, and I was happy to see it. Obviously, um, that being the last time. Cowboys fans will see Tony Romo playing in a Cowboys uniform. For yeah, that that probably for, increases yeah, yeah. the chances of him uh, being a potential trade ship in the off season. Um, so it, that's nothing but good news for the Cowboys. Um, talk about players that looked awesome though. Um, uh, man, Zach Ertz for Philadelphia. What a game he had. Zach Ertz, yeah, he had 13, 14 catches, I think. Oh, he was just every play. I, I feel like Ertz was was catching a ball. Um, granted. Most of the game was against Cowboys second string um, defense, um, but still he had two touchdowns. He beat Byron Jones on his first touchdown, um, and Byron Jones he he is a pretty solid player, but he he does give up a lot of touchdowns um, down in the red zone. Um, I think he gets beat off the line a little bit too often. Um, Zach Miller did it a little a little bit. In the beginning of the season, Zach Miller had two touchdowns, sort of bullied him in the red zone. So that's a little bit not concerning, but it's something to keep an eye on going forward, I think, for the Cowboys. Other than that, Zach Ertz, I, w- I was thinking to myself, I'm going to draft him next year for, for fantasy because the last, like, five, six games, I feel Ertz is looking at the box score. He always has seven, eight, nine catches, and I just need that on my team, obviously. So Ertz, obviously impressed. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that so, was. Uh, I, I I digress uh, a little bit there, but that's yeah. that's what I took away from it, to be honest. So I'm I'm gonna get Zach Curtis in, in my auction draft next year for pretty cheap. <laughs> don't, don't say it too loud. People will uh, know your know your plans ahead of time. Um, so uh, let me ask you this: you you've got a week off um, before you're gonna be hosting um, the six seed or or the four seed when they come to town. How how are you feeling uh, right now? Just quick, you see, regular season just ended. We're about to uh, start talking playoffs. Uh, just your quick reaction. 
Um, I'm feeling very confident, um, but not like I, I'm. I would be absolutely devastated beyond beyond words if the Cowboys lost in the NFC divisional round. But I don't think that's going to happen. But I did say that in 2007 when they lost to the Giants as well with um, the great Tony Romo at the helm. Um, but anyways, I I just think the Cowboys, their offensive line. And and Zeke Elliott, they're just too dominant. They they just control the game. Every game they're in, they they've never been out of a game. Obviously, they've only lost three games now, but they've never been even in those losses. They've they've been in the game the entire time. It's just not a team that that's going to get blown out. And at home, if they don't make it to the Super Bowl, I'm going to be very deeply disappointed. Um, Randy Gregory, the Cowboys defensive line looking much improved from the start of the year. Randy Gregory had his first career sack today. Combine that with David Irving and Benson Mayoa, um, former Seahawks practice squad player of yours. The Cowboys just, everything seems to be trending upward for them. And I think the sky's the limit for them this year, obviously, and for the foreseeable future. It sounds super optimistic, but it's it's just true. Um, And I don't think anyone can say it's not true. So, and it was good to see one one last thing. It was good to see Dan Bailey connect on a 49-50 yard field goal today after he he missed his last five. I mean, his last three long attempts. So that was also a good uh, confidence boost going into the playoffs. But overall, I just the Cowboys and the Patriots. I have to say are the favorites to meet in the Super Bowl at this at this uh, juncture. I think you would agree with that, but you probably wouldn't actually because the Seahawks. But without Earl Thomas, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop your ramble right there yeah uh no I'm, I'm with you i think the uh uh clearly the the best team in the nfc if not the nfl right now is the cowboys um and uh so uh c- congratulations to that now it looks like uh, we have a special guest uh entrant it is uh james the eagle super fan james you guys are coming off of a, a pretty good win how do you feel right now i mean anytime you beat the cowboys is great so um Pretty good win, but it's to be expected. And you know that all three quarterbacks are going to play today. Uh, didn't know how long Romo was going to play, but I knew that once Sanchez entered the game, it was pretty much going to be lights out for Dallas. <laughs> and boy, were you right about that. <laughs> um, we were talking a little bit about, about Zach Ertz earlier, man. Is it just me or is he clearly the best player on the field today? He's the best player on the field, and he's the best receiver we have on this roster. No Jordan Matthews. Aguilar went to the locker room early, and there is no attempt to get the ball to any other receiver on, on the roster between – um, Green Beckham or uh, or or uh, Briggs. So it's pretty much just a tight end show. Uh, Burton caught a couple of passes early, so did Selleck. But pretty much once he got locked in on Zach Ertz, it was basically his game all day. So your season wraps up. You guys missed the playoffs after a really really hot start. How uh, what is your feeling now? Just quick knee jerk reaction as the season is ending. Uh, glad it's over uh, after that free fall from three and zero. Um, a lot of things to work on in the off season. Uh, he'll have a compl- uh, Wentz will have a complete off season to work with the wide receivers and the rest of the receiving core when they get healthy. I expect the core actually to be completely overhauled. I don't expect everybody to come back next year, um, especially between uh, Aguilar and possibly Matthews. One or both of them won't be back next year. I don't expect. Um, I do expect a move to be made either for a veteran wide receiver like either Deshaun Jackson or Alshon Jeffrey. But probably know, Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, probably be coming over to Philadelphia, and I expect um, a little more depth in the running uh, 
in the backfield as well. So between free agency and the draft, those two areas will be upgraded on offense. Do you expect to be able to challenge next year the Cowboys for the division crown? Um, if they keep rolling like this, challenge them for the division crown, no. Challenge for a playoff berth, yes. And then uh, let me throw it back to you real quick, uh, Kevin. Um, so uh, now that we have the Eagles fan on, kind of talking about potentially challenging for a playoff spot, do you know just off the top of your head uh, who you guys are potentially losing this offseason? Yeah, if we just talk about, you know, uh, regular season results. So, Kevin, let me ask you, now that we have the Eagles fan talking a little bit about next year, kind of the regular season results, um, do you know just off the top of your head who's coming back? Um, how do you how are you guys built for sustained success next year? We 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 need to. I mean, for the most part, I built for for a long term run. I think. I mean, obviously, stack three more years on his rookie deal, which you as a Seahawks fan know, paying a great quarterback less than a million dollars is makes it a lot easier to assemble a quality team to compete Super Bowl year in year out. So um, I think that will definitely make the Cowboys' lives easier. Granted, that Romo, I don't think is going to be back. Some people do think he's going to be back, but um, I just don't think that we're going to have him as a backup, paying him all that money. Lyle Collins, he's obvious. The, the offensive line, I mean, we have Tyron Smith locked up. We, we just gave Travis Frederick a deal. Zach Martin, we need to pay soon. But that, that group is going to be, be pretty solid for years to come. Terrence Williams is, is a bit iffy on next year. I don't think he's going to be back. This is his last year. We we can definitely do without him, and I don't think the Cowboys are going to want to pay him what he he's gonna he's gonna get. Other than that, off the top of my head, and for time's sake, I, I don't really know right now. So, but I think the core for the most part is still going to be there. Cool. Well, there you have it from one half of the NFC East. Uh, the Cowboys advance. The Eagles finish on a win. So that's a pretty good high note. Both of them have next week off. Um, the Eagles just get to continue their vacation after that. So, guys, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to especially Kevin here shortly as the playoffs get started up. Thank you. Jim. All right, man. All right, this is Justin. This time I'm here with James, the Texans fan. And before we do anything, let's play our favorite game, Where in the World is James Texans? So, James, where in the world are you right now? Right now I am in St. Louis, Missouri. So uh, rather mild, um, you know, mild weather, lacks a football team. But, uh, you know, good place to visit. All right, so listeners, if you had uh, James in St. Louis on your bingo board, go ahead and mark that off. Um, right now we're talking the Texans versus the the Titans, a victory for the Titans over the Texans, which I will honestly, I will say honestly, honestly surprised me. So James, uh, how how did this uh, 24-17 Titans victory happen? Oh, I mean, it happened because Lamar Miller wasn't going to play. Jadavian Clowney wasn't going to play. You know, DeAndre Hopkins actually ended up playing a lot more than I thought he would. Uh, the coaching staff just approached it as a pseudo-bye week. I mean, it was meaningless. We were locked into the four spot, and uh, it was more important to just kind of make it through the week healthy, which, you know, they, they, they approached the game like they were going to do that, and then they run Tom Savage on a sneak on fourth and one for some reason, and uh, he has to get pulled due to the concussion protocol. And that's going to be interesting to see in the playoffs because looking at the hit and you can see the replay, there wasn't really anything that seemed vicious about it. He didn't really seem like he was staggering or, you know, he spent an inordinate amount of time on the on the ground. But the ref kind of came over to him right when they were calling the huddle again and pulled him out of the game and said, no, you got to go through the, the protocol. You know, that happened in what amounts to a meaningless game. But it'll be very interesting to see if a, if a ref comes over to, say, Tom Brady on one of his infamous fourth and one or third and one sneaks and says, Hey, uh, you get to sit the next play out and what the 
uh, repercussions of that will be. Yeah, um, you know, uh, when the Seahawks played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I distinctly remember uh, Julian Edelman getting pretty clearly concussed and then just dodging the referee for a little while. Um, so it would surprise me to see if they had some uh, uh, moves prepared for that. So uh, you're, you're watching a game that's mostly meaningless. I'm, uh, other than avoiding injuries, what are you, what are you hoping to see out of your Texans uh, today, and did you see it? Well, I was hoping to see something that looked like, you know, passable offensive line play, which I did not, given that they gave up a uh, strip sack fumble that was recovered in the end zone for the game's opening points. Trying to see a little bit. And the whole offensive line play is once they made the switch over to Savage, you know, you're going to have a little bit of timing differences, a little bit of just uh, just kind of the nuts and bolts that are going to change from having, you know, one alleged quarterback there versus another, you know, quarterback back there. And so the offensive line looked to play a little bit better than what it had the past couple games, but uh, still was not super great in protection. Um, I also wanted to see how we did against the run game because either uh, either way we're going to end up playing what looked to be the Kansas City Chiefs or the Oakland Raiders. Looks like we're getting the Raiders now, uh, which I guess is a better thing because we get to face Matt McGloin. But uh, both of those teams are, are known for their run game or you know a, a more – uh, run-heavy approach than a lot of other teams. And so, uh, you know, with the Tennessee Titans and their exotic smash mouth, it was a great test against a, a good run team. And, you know, we, we did a passable job given that, again, Kalani was out and, um, you know, not all of the defensive players were playing all the defensive snaps. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Jadavian Clowney. He he had a really good year. Uh, has he finally started to live up to that first-round billing? Is he... Is he a star? Is he just a good player? Is he just a bust who bounced back a little bit? Um, what What is Clowney at this moment? Well, it, it's definitely not just like a dead cat bounce of, you know, disappointing first couple of years and then just playing average. He's, he's above average. Uh, you know, he stepped up when you figure, you know, Watt's going to go down for the season. His numbers aren't nearly as impressive as, you know, what you would expect, you know, given given watching him week after week. Uh, but the defenses are now tailored to, tailored to take him out of the game, which is opening up space for other players to make, uh, you know, make make bigger plays. Cushing has uh, had kind of a bounce back season. Hopefully that won't turn into another PED suspension. But you know that's that's how life goes at times. And it, it took a lot of the pressure off the the rest of the defensive line, knowing that they still had that one focal point that every other offensive coordinator had to prepare for. I wouldn't. He, he did get nominated to the Pro Bowl this year. I think that was more a function of the name and seeing that he had a a good season, above average season, um, that kind of propelled him over to the Pro Bowl. He's, I'd say, he's very good. He'll he'll end up being a you know a starter for us for next year. Uh, hopefully, he'll be able to we'll be able to retain him, uh, get him extended for a long term contract because you know he's while he may not be everything that he was built up for uh, while he was in college, he's still a an every down contributor now, which. After the first year of the deal, if you told me I was going to get an every-down contributor from Jadavian Clowney, uh, I would have been ecstatic. And now I'm like, well, let's let's aim for a little bit higher than that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I suppose. Let's talk playoffs. Do you know who your first-round matchup is going to be? Uh, it looks like it's going to be the Oakland Raiders because the Denver Broncos did us a solid and beat Matt McGloin, and uh, Kansas City was able to, to finish the Chargers season. Looking at all the different playoff teams, there's a lot of uncertainty in the AFC. Um, you know, you've got the Dolphins who are now being led by Matt Moore and, you know, or the Dolphins, so they're they're looking kind of shaky. We have a good history of uh, success against the Dolphins. Uh, you've got the Raiders who are now going to be led by Matt McGloin. He didn't look overly impressive today, and that's, you know, 
he's still probably better than anything the Texans have right now, but uh, he's definitely a huge step down from Derek Carr. We played them tough down in Mexico City earlier this year, and uh, their defense made Brock Osweiler look um, like not a uh, like not an outstanding bust, but just kind of a normal level bust. I think we'll still end up being slight underdogs in the game, but I know if Kansas City would have been coming to town, uh, it probably would have been some unprecedented like Kansas City minus six and a half at Houston for the first round playoffs. Whereas uh, next week it wouldn't shock me for the game to be a pick 'em, just because nobody's really gonna know, you know, what they have in Tom Savage or Matt McGloin. Yeah, that's the part that's interesting to me is you have two teams that let's just be honest don't have quarterbacks. Um, this has the potential to be both an an entertaining slop fest and a set football back 40 years. Uh, so on, on on that note, uh, James, congratulations on winning the uh, AFC South for the second consecutive year. Good luck in the playoffs, and I'm sure we'll be talking real soon. Oh, that sounds good. And hey, like I've said all year, AFC South football, it may not be good football, it may not necessarily be entertaining football, but it is still football. There you go. A- AFC South, it's like it's like the the pizza of football. Even when it's bad, it's still kind of good. All right, this is Justin back again. This time I'm with Ryan, the Jaguar super fan. What's happening, Ryan? Oh, just super duper. Jags, we're now uh, 13-3, and three, so that should give us a, a playoff spot, right? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I believe. Wait, uh, that I got that backwards. Got that backwards. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was I was drinking the 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 Jaguars Kool Aid all off season. Allen Robinson was the first pick for my fantasy team. Oh, oh I, man. Yeah, I um I I love that you said that. It's um I uh I like the Raiders just just in in general, not as a team, but just like Derek Carr and then Jack Del Rio was the coach of the Jaguars. Uh, I got a point here. I promise. I, I like them, like, you know, personally, I like them. I would root for them. But I've been so insanely jealous, and I know I know they had the injury or whatever, but um, just jealous of their season because, the, to me, in the offseason, the Jaguars and Raiders were equals. It was like, ooh, look at these teams who might do something in the AFC and just look at where where they are now. I mean, the Raiders were obviously, you know, the correct choice for the for a up-and-coming team, and the Jaguars just completely uh, imploded for the whole season. Speaking of imploding, let's talk a little bit about this game, which was yeah. a loss to the uh, the hated Colts. Tell me how this one went down. Well, uh, you said hated, and that's true, but uh, I got to tell you, my Super Bowl was last week beating the uh, Tennessee Titans because I hate them more than uh, anything in the world, and we kept them out of the playoffs, and that was great. That was a great game. This week, uh, the second hated team, the Colts, yeah, it was domination by the Jaguars. Um, on both sides of the ball, the running game is good. Bortles look fine. Um, the Colts look completely disinterested. I mean, Luck w- was kind of, uh, he was showing like a lot of emotion, so maybe not disinterested, but the play on the field just looks so lackluster. Uh, you know, Luck was going crazy after like three or four, three and outs to start the game, and Jaguars were getting pressure, got a pick, and like I said, on offense, the run game looked fine and got out to a 17-0 or 17-3 lead, um, and then the game just turned at, at some point, and the old Colts just uh, kind of inched back in, and ultimately it came up to the end of the game. Um, I don't know if you want me to skip there yet, but I'll just explain. Uh, Jags had the ball in field goal range. Uh, Colts had all three timeouts remaining and I, I, you know, I feel like Marone did a good, great job last week with the team and the team looked like a, a, 
a new squad again today or the, or the same squad from last week. But at the end of the game, I think this was an awful choice by Marone. Ball and field goal range. Colts have all three timeouts. And Marone just ran it three times and kicked the field goal. So the Colts, and we didn't get a first down. So, of course, the Colts just took a timeout every single time. And Luck was left with about a minute 40-ish uh, to work with. And it was like three plays, and they were in field goal range, and they ended up getting the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, to me, uh, I don't know. I, I I almost feel like, and this probably sounds more insulting than, than it's meant to be, uh, Andrew Luck reminds me a lot of Tim Tebow. Uh, huh. A substantially better football player, don't get me wrong. But, like, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, he'll be he'll be trash for a lot of a game, and then, like, the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, he'll put up, like, 20, 21 all of a sudden. And it's, like, rinse, repeat. Uh, and, like, there's his career. Um, yeah, they, yeah, I mean... Uh... Uh, obviously, yeah, much better football player. I can't stand even hearing the name Tim Debo, but, uh, uh, that, you know, I think you made the good comparison there. It's true. Like, even though luck, you know, he st- he looked better in the second half, but still, yeah, it was not, it was not Andrew Luck's day really. And you're right. Just like I was thinking right then when we had the ball, you know, we got to get a first down here. Cause otherwise you're going to leave Andrew Luck too much time. And, and yeah, he he just it was so easy for him against the defense that played really well, um, pretty much almost all day. And uh, yeah, luck just had the fourth quarter. I don't know if it's magic in this week seventeen game, but you know, a good fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, this is this uh, ended up being this was kind of an emotional roller coaster, right? The it looked like it was going to be kind of a blowout, boring game. Then it gets close. Then you have this crazy finish. Um, I do want to talk a little bit though about um, your your wide receiver group. You know, I mentioned that I was I was all in on Allen Robinson this year. Um, he didn't do me a whole lot of good. Um, I think I've got the number one or number two pick in that fantasy draft uh, now. Um, but um, he he did have a pretty good game, and he's he kind of came on at sort of the end of the year. How uh, how are you feeling ab- about him and ha- about that wide receiver position in general going into the offseason? Your your confusion is warranted. It's it's even more confusing for me as 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 a fan watching these games because you know I'm glad he got some recognition to be drafted that high. And I don't think looking back that I mean obviously it was a bad move now, but I don't think it was a bad choice. I I've said this so many times. I'm getting tired of saying it myself. Allen Robinson should be a top ten receiver in the NFL. And he, and I thought he was going to be, and this year has been so confusing. And I don't know if it's all on Bortles or got to put some on him, I guess. But uh, he he had all the makings and look of a top wide receiver, and may, maybe teams just started playing him different and he couldn't handle it. I don't know. But last week he looked like the Allen Robinson I expected to see this year. Um, today was was pretty good. I mean, that would be – a pretty good day last year from Allen Robinson. And as far as the rest of the receiving core, even more confusing is that Marquise Lee has been uh, the best receiver on the team this year. And which was a surprise because he was, he was injured a lot early in his career. Um, didn't really do much. And this year he's been dependable, making plays down the field, short plays, everything um, just really good. And, and my favorite guy personally is Alan Hearns and he had a really disappointing year as well. So um, kind of a confusing group. If I had to guess, Allen Robinson will be the best receiver on the team next year, but uh, I'm so hesitant because Marquise Lee uh, looked pretty good, and, and I hope they don't confuse me. Maybe maybe they both can be awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's kind of the story of, of this team. is like so much disappointment across the board. 
And you know, I was rooting for you guys. I'm a big Gus Bradley fan because of his time spent here. Obviously, he's gone. Um, our Bill Superman thinks he's got a, a job as a coordinator up there coming up soon. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of your 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 quick reaction. Your season just ended uh, not that long ago. Um, what, it, what what's your outlook for next year, and how are you feeling about this year? I, th- I think I could probably guess the answer to that question. <laughs> this year, you know, the Jags have been bad for a while. Um, and I think not as bad as, as some people think. Like these last four or five years, yes, they've been as terrible as people think. But, you know, it's not like they were born a terrible franchise. I think I can safely say, though, that this is the most disappointing year since, and it might be more disappointing, um, since 2008. Because in 07, the Jaguars made the playoffs and they traded up for a defensive end, blah, blah, blah. It looked like uh, they were just a pass rusher away and then it turned out they were old and and, and it was surprisingly bad. This year, there's so much... Of, uh, old and surprising, what do you think of the rumors linking Tom Coughlin to uh, <laughs> making a return? Good call, good call. Yeah, but bottom line, this, this season is just surprisingly disappointing. I'm so surprised and shocked. Tom Coughlin, I... Maybe I'm a fool, but I like the idea. I I mean, he's the best coach in our history and won two Super Bowls. The only like the only way that it's a bad idea is because of his age. Um, and that I feel like you, you could wait and see and, and, and find out how it goes. I don't think there's a better candidate out there than Tom Coughlin, because even if you look at Kyle Shanahan or Josh McDaniels, or whatever, like, there's no guarantee that those guys will be a good head coach. There's no guarantee Tom Coughlin would have success uh, with this Jaguars, you know, regime in 2017 and beyond. But I I feel like there's no question that he is the best coach that anybody could hire. Well, there you have it. The Jaguars, turns out, are bad and should feel bad. Ryan? Yes can't wait to talk into you a lot over this offseason uh, i think jacksonville is going to be a very interesting team uh once the season ends yeah i mean we were the offseason champions this year so this is our season here we go man <laughs> see, see if you can retain year. the belt yep <laughs> uh, man, thank you all right thanks all right this is justin the seahawks super fan again this time i'm with andy our Dolphins super fan talking about the Dolphins taking on the New England Patriots. Um, I'm sure you're here to tell us all about your incredible come-from-behind victory, Andy. Yeah, come-from-behind victory is certainly one way to put it, for sure. <laughs> this was, let's let's be honest, a, a bit of a butt-whipping. Uh, Patriots win 35-14. Why don't you walk us through what happened here? Sure. What happened is that the New England Patriots are much better than Miami Dolphins and have been so for the majority of the past 20 years. Uh, You know, I I will say, while this wasn't a quote-unquote close game by, well, I mean, people have different definitions of what they consider to be a close game. My definition of a close game is, at the two-minute warning, does either team have a win probability of more than 60%? If the answer is no, it's a close game. This was not one of those. Having said that, there was a juncture where we had first and goal from the four with seven and a half minutes left, down by 13. If we execute and get the ball in the end zone, ultimately we didn't. Damian Williams fumbled. But if we execute and get the ball in the end zone, all of a sudden we're up by or we're down by six with like plenty and plenty and plenty of time left. Now, did that happen? No. Even if that did happen, do I trust the defense to give us the ball back? Absolutely not. But I do think for whatever it's worth, which is probably not that much, 
the the game was slightly slightly more competitive than the final 34 or 35 to 14 score would indicate now you know they did outgain us by over 100 yards uh they won the turnover battle what else is new two to nothing and really the the, the Patriots are a terror I mean the Patriots are a bad matchup for pretty much anyone that's why they're the Patriots but the Patriots are especially a bad matchup for the Dolphins and Reason being, this Dolphins defense has thrived all year, generating turnovers and generating big plays. And the Patriots just don't give you any of those. They don't make any mistakes. Um, And that's kind of what happened. I mean, they just, you know, super efficient, play after play after play, dink, dunk, dink, dunk, little run mixed in here, just up and down the field. I mean, the only time we, we got them to punt only twice. And both of the times we got them to punt, the only reason we did so was because they had a holding call that got them behind us down in distance. Whenever they didn't shoot themselves in the foot, they marched right down the field. So let me ask you about that a little bit, about those Patriots. Um, so from your perspective as a guy who is, um, unlike several people on the show, you're not a Patriots super fan, um, are, are they looking like a super team to you? Do, you? do you think that they're the best team in the league? Do you think they're going to go all the way? How do, you, how do you feel now that you've had this up-close view of them? I do think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl, unfortunately. Um, uh, I don't... I don't see how it's anything other than Patriots Cowboys. I'll be honest. I I really don't. And I think in the Super Bowl, we have the potential to see Dak Prescott's first truly, truly, truly ugly game. Um, I I don't I don't think it's good if it is indeed. You know, I, I think I think the Cowboys are a fundamentally better team than the Seahawks and a fundamentally better team than the Packers and the Falcons. Having said that, I do think the Packers, Falcons, and Seahawks, all three of them, have a better chance of beating the Patriots just because their quarterback is, you know, more veteran and probably better. I mean, Matt, you know, Dak, Dak Prescott's had an unbelievable season. I'm not ready to say he's better than Matt Ryan just yet. He's certainly not better than Aaron Rodgers either, certainly not better than Russell Wilson. So even though the Cowboys will probably defeat all of those teams on the road to Houston, in terms of having a competitive Super Bowl, it's probably in our best interest as football fans that someone other than Dallas makes it because I just I, I just think Dak Prescott would be completely undressed by Bill Belichick as he does the rookie quarterbacks all the time. So, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, let's talk a little bit about the Miami quarterbacks. Matt Moore had a you know he threw an interception, but other than that, it looks like he had a pretty good game. Two hundred five yards, couple of touchdowns. Um, so just very very fundamental question: Who is the best quarterback? on the Miami Dolphins? Brian Tannehill. But it, it, it's not, it's not that. It, it, it's, it's the golf. Listen, I, I, I don't think Tannehill should play again this year. And the reason for that is if both men are at a hundred percent, Ryan Tannehill is better than Matt Moore. There's a reason he's a starter and Matt Moore is the backup. But if it's between Tannehill at 70% versus Matt Moore at a hundred percent, give me Matt Moore, to be honest. I, I don't, I don't think, and you know, you know this because you're in the network with me, the Superfan Network. I've never been a huge Tannehill guy. Even this year, he's supposedly better than he ever has been, and he has been. But he's still, you look, you look up at his numbers. He's like 20th in QBR. He's 12th in pass rating. I mean, he's he's been a slightly above average quarterback this year. But think of everything that has that's gone right for him in order to make that happen. Um, Matt, Matt Moore was fine today. I, I, I will say Moore was probably a little bit worse than his numbers indicate. 
there were a number of plays. There was one rollout, if my memory serves me. There was a, a rollout on third and six. We had the ball on their side of the field. It was third and six from, like, their 45. We were down 14 nothing in desperate need of at least a field goal. Matt Moore's rolling to his right, sees Kenny Stills. It was a great read, um, but he just kind of chicken-winged the throw a little bit, and Stills jutted his hand out and wasn't able to make the catch. And, you know, it, it's those types of plays that you need. Given how open Stills was, it would have been a catch-and-run for 18 yards. Next thing you know, it's like first and goal from inside the 20 almost. And uh, we couldn't execute. He didn't make the throw. That's a throw that Tannehill definitely makes. Listen, the, it, it's not a discernible – it's not a huge discernible difference between Tannehill and Matt Moore. And Moore, Moore was fine today. He was fine. The last thing I'll say about him is that Patriots played Matt Moore the exact opposite how they would play Ryan Tannehill. And that's really a, a testament to their preparation and how much they know about football and just how good they are for game planning. The Patriots during the Tannehill era – would stack the line, go single high safety, and make Ryan beat them down the sidelines with those, you know, those parabolic moon ball, deep ball throws down the sidelines. However, Matt Moore loves, as we saw on Monday night against the Jets, as we saw last week, Matt Moore loves that deep ball down the sideline. That's probably what he does best as a quarterback, dropping it in a bucket uh, from 30 yards away. So the Patriots, knowing that, they completely changed their defense. They basically gave us everything short – gave us everything underneath. Um, they, w- they were, on a down-by-down down basis, they were daring Matt Moore to put together a competent 16-play drive to beat us instead of giving him, which is the opposite of what they would do with Tannehill. With Tannehill, they would go single high and dare him to beat him with a big play. Matt Moore, they knew he could make the big play, so they made him do the opposite. And uh, Matt Patricia is going to be a head coach uh, so- sooner rather than later. I think he's really good uh, defensively. So uh, now that the season is wrapped up, uh, let's talk a little bit about the playoffs. Obviously, we'll talk more about this. Um, if you guys are the sixth seed, that means you're probably going up against, what, the three seed, which I think would be the Steelers at this point. Does that sound about right? Yep, and that matchup, I'm pretty sure, is set in stone at this point. Yeah, so um, uh, so j- just, you know, close to the end of the game, knee-jerk reaction. Um, h- uh, how are you feeling about the season, and how are you feeling going into the playoffs? This is the best Dolphin season that I've been alive for, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. I mean, I think one of my earliest – I mean, I was born in 1988, so the earliest cognitive memories of the Dolphins I have were probably that 90, the 95 season when we went 11-5 and with Marino and then lost um, in San Diego to the eventual AFC champion uh, Chargers. Uh, uh, Stojanovic missed a kick. I don't know if you remember that game. I don't know how old you are. Uh, but that's that that other than that season, that '95 season, this is probably the best Dolphin team or best Dolphin season that I've been alive for. I mean, it's been it's been a dream. It's 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 really been a dream. It has been. I can't believe that it's Week 17. We got blown out, and yet I really don't care because I know we're making the playoffs. It's just it, it's surreal. It, it it really is surreal to me. Um, now, as far as next week is concerned. Listen, we have a shot. We have a shot. I think people are conveniently forgetting that we actually beat the Pittsburgh Steelers earlier this year. Now, granted, that game was in Miami. It wasn't in Pittsburgh. We had Ryan Tannehill. We don't have him anymore. We had Rashad Jones. We don't have him anymore. We had Mike Pouncey. We don't have him anymore. I mean, you know, Issa Abdul could do – I mean, between Tannehill, Jones, Pouncey, Abdul, there's at least four or five opening day starters that played that game and played well that game that we will not have at our disposal next week. So, 
you know, gun to my head, am I going to pick us in Pittsburgh? Obviously, I won't, but it's it's going to be close. They're not going to blow us out. Pretty confident that they're not going to blow us out. And uh, we can definitely win. I think if the Dolphins played the Pittsburgh Steelers ten times, they'd probably win three of them. Maybe in Miami, they might win four or five of them. But we have a shot, for sure. Well, there you have it. The, the Dolphins got blown out, but the, it doesn't really matter because they're going to the playoffs anyway. Uh, it doesn't matter what Tom Brady and the Patriots have to say about that. So, Andy, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Good luck in the playoffs. One last thing I will say, and yeah. this is a topic of a topic of conversation that I'd love your just quick opinion on. In, in terms of close games in the NFL, and as we know, most games in the NFL are close. It's one of the great things about the league. There's just so much parity. But in terms of close games, do you believe that certain teams have an innate ability to win close games? Or do you think that performance in close games is completely random and things tend to regress to the mean? And the reason I ask that is because the Dolphins finished 10-6 and six this year, and yet I can pinpoint a handful of plays in you know the Arizona game, the Buffalo game, the, the San Francisco game, the L.A. game, the San Diego game. I can pinpoint a handful of plays that had they gone the other way, we would have been 5-11. and 11. And my question to you is, do you think certain teams have an innate ability to make the clutch play, or do you think that performance in close games is – statistically random and there's just no way to really forecast it because this dolphin team finished 10 and 6 despite having an aggregate point differential of minus 17 which suggests that maybe we did get lucky in those close games that were not as good as our record says what do you think well if it comes to like the actual statistical analysis stuff i'll leave that to james the texans fan but i'll tell you this my experience has has led me to uh very strongly be of the opinion that there are certain teams, and more so even certain players, like specifically quarterbacks, who you can almost count on to be very, very likely to make that game-ending score, um, drive, points, things like that. You know, um, talking Seahawks with, like, you know, other Seahawks fans and, like, big like Seahawk fan groups, I, I'm, I'm part of, like, the Home of the Twelves, things like that. Um, we... We've, we typically feel Take like... Take, for instance, with... just to interrupt you for a second. Take, for instance, your game against us, opening day. If I'm not mistaken, we had you. So you guys ended up winning. Do you remember the final score? You guys ended up winning 12-10. to 10. Ugly, ugly game. And if I'm not mistaken, we had you. We were beating you 10 to... We were beating you 10-6 to 6 with the ball at the 50, less than two minutes left, and you guys were facing a 4th and 10. Do you remember that play, the crosser to Doug Baldwin? I do. So, for instance, that play, and the Seahawks, I think, are a good example because you guys have won a lot of close games. Mm-hmm. How confident we're, – we're, on that fourth and ten, you're staring down the barrel of a fourth and ten. You don't complete that pass, the game's over. How confident were you in Russell Wilson? Very. Honestly, very. Exactly, and, and, as you should have been. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I was getting at. It's like my experience has shown me that there's specific teams and specific players that, like, if we have the ball and we're down by six with two minutes to go, I feel like we've got the lead. I mean, uh, it, it, it almost feels like a done deal. You know, I was talking to uh, our, our Jaguar superfan uh, about the game against the Colts, and, like, I don't really like the Colts, and I'm probably the biggest Andrew Luck hater here, but I feel like if they're with, within, within a score with, you know, like, two minutes to go and they have the ball, they ha- then they will score. Like, I, I, I have an utmost certainty of that, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proven right far more often than not. I mean, you know, you can't tell me that if, you know, the Patriots are down by a point— and then they end up with possession with a minute to go and two timeouts. I mean, 
what what do they add to them scoring? Like regardless of how the rest of the game has gone, regardless of if if you know they're only, they're behind like seventeen eighteen, I feel like there's an eighty percent chance they're going to score in that situation. Yeah, uh, and, I would agree. And it's not just random. I mean, the way, the way that defenses play change. You know, you're you're kind of cashing in all the tendencies that you've kind of intentionally made in, in the game. You're kind of cashing in all these things that you've set up throughout the game and kind of like letting it all fly. And then you're taking chances like you don't really care if you turn it over at that point because, you know, you're either going to march down and score or you're going to lose anyway. So exactly. you go really aggressive at it. And so it's it's not totally random. I mean, um, the final possessions really in either half, the rules are different than they are in other games. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think that the the best teams, the ones that have the best quarterbacks, frequently um, score a lot of their points on the final possessions of individual halves, even if they've struggled for the rest of the game for that reason. So I think that winning by narrow margins is no accident. Uh, it's something that, you know, everybody will win some and will lose some, uh, but the team has a lot of influence over, you know, how far you shade one way or another if you're losing more yeah. of them or winning more of them. It's, you know, th- th- this isn't baseball where it's, um, you know, almost all statistical stuff. I mean, it's, you know, you have a there's a lot of more variables under a lot more control in football, and so yeah, if if your team is winning a lot of close games, that may change next year when you know scheme changes, you know people change. But if your team is winning a lot of close games, that that to me tells me that their makeup is one that lends itself to that. Yeah, and I hope so. And you know, st- statistics will unfortunately statistics do disagree with you. Uh, statistics have been have proven to show that. Performance in close games is rather random uh, year to year, and things do regress. Um, now, I hope that's not the case. I hope that this year wasn't a fluke. But again, and this is the last thing I'll say, finishing 10-6 and six with a negative point differential is something that, from a potential regression standpoint, is rather alarming to me. Yeah, you know what, though? The the uh, the first year that Pete Carroll was in town and we ended up winning the NFC West, uh, we did so with a negative point differential, as I recall. Yeah, you were 7-9. <laughs> You guys weren't yeah, well, good though. We we didn't talk about that, but but uh, and, and we knocked off the defending world champions in the playoffs. So let's not you get did, it twisted. You did. But um, you know, I think if you have a new head coach in town, you know, if if you're if on the win loss record you're outperforming your your talent, that's a good sign to me, not a bad sign. I mean, your yeah, talent can improve. Um, I feel like coaching doesn't necessarily improve with a like a specific regime in place. So that's a good sign, not a bad sign. I would agree. I would agree. No, for sure. Just food for thought and something that because I've 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 gone back and forth on this thing like, oh, is it statistically random or is it talent? Is it random? Is it talent? And watching the Dolphins win so many nail biters this year. I mean, I don't know how closely you've been following us. No reason for you to other than the fact that we played you week one. But just so many nail biters this year and pretty much all of them have gone our way, except for the Seahawks game, really. Yeah. Um. So just something I've been thinking about all year. But uh. Yeah. yeah well. There you have it. Tables have been turned. Apparently, I'm the, I'm the one doing all the talking. Thank you, Andy. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And like I said before, good luck. Yep. Take care, buddy. Next up, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Carolina Panthers in a division matchup. Buccaneers had an outside shot at a playoff game, but that wasn't really in the cards. This one was mostly about pride. And this was about two teams on divergent paths, in my opinion. Carolina Panthers were in the Super Bowl last year. They really were diminished this year, and I don't have a lot of hope that they're going to get much better. I mean, uh, Cam Newton was the MVP last year, but historically in his career, he's a low-accuracy guy, throws a decent amount of interceptions. Last year really was the outlier. Uh, if anything, today this year was really more him regressing towards his mean. Jameis Winston, on the other hand, I think he's going to be a real good football player. Um, he was the, the, the better man today. Um, he, you know... 
honestly, this was a really close game. It was a, a 17 to 16 win over the Carolina Panthers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this game was tied 10-10 into the fourth quarter. Buccaneers took a lead with just a few minutes to go. Uh, give Cam Newton credit, though. He did drive down the field uh, to score a touchdown. Rather than try and tie it, they went for two, which has been, I guess, the, the theme this year. Um, did not make the conversion, so they ended up falling. But, you know, even if they won, um, I think it's clear that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are an up-and-coming team. I mean, they started off the year slow, and they got better and better as the year went on. I think there's some teams who are probably a little relieved that they're not in the playoffs. Carolina Panthers, uh, on the other hand, they were maybe in that position a few years ago, but now they seem to be getting worse. They seem to be getting a little bit older, a little bit banged up. Um, I don't know where they go from here. It's possible that uh, this year was just uh, you know kind of a weird bump in the road, but outside of last year and the and you know to a certain extent the year before, this really is the Carolina Panthers we've seen. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, though, this is the the first time in a long time that I think they've got some hope and. You know, all their core building blocks really seem to be young, ascending players. That's a great position to be in. Um, I, th- I think they have a very real shot at competing for that division next year. And, you know, if they have a good draft, maybe competing for more than a division. But at least for right now, it's pretty clear that the Buccaneers are the better team. All right, this is Justin back with Chris, the Saints fan, Tim, the Falcons fan, with a game that actually has some pretty substantial playoff implications for Tim's Falcons and my Seahawks. Uh, so let's just go ahead and head over to the the winner, Tim. Uh, with this win, you secure the, the number two seed, and this looked like it was an absolute blowout for most of the game, um, but it got pretty tight at the end. Why don't you walk us through what happened? Yeah, I think towards the end, the defense was playing just to, you know, bend but don't break anything, um, you know, type of mentality. You know, outside of the the hit that Keanu Neal laid on, you know, Willie Sneed, it didn't look like they were really, you know, going for it. Uh, and, I mean, to be completely honest, I don't even know why the starters were still out there. Uh, and, I mean, just a, a little bit scary at times. Uh, you know, on the hit that I, that I mentioned, Keanu Neal looks like he got shaken up a little bit, but he ended up coming back in. But, I mean, the main thing it looked like is we were just going out there like, all right, we're up by what 25 at one point just just don't choke it away and it, it got kind of close there towards the end and uh and put a little bit of panic in me and you know the people i was watching with at home yeah and so uh chris uh you and your saints i'll be honest you guys had one job one job and you blew it i'm bitter <laughs> i'd like to think that they actually came through and did the job correctly because this shouldn't have even come down to the last game had there been a legitimate pass interference call on richard sherman holding julio oh somehow we lost the audio from tim so chris why don't you walk us through what happened in this game i can unmute myself my friend <laughs> no, i mean it is what it is this sums up the entire saint season um the falcons are a better team the Saints limped into this season. They limped out of it. There's a uh, lot of potential. I, I think we're finally, I'm going to say this the first time, and, and after two to three years, the defense is moving in the right direction. You just have to be able to put it all together. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I think moving away from uh, Rob Ryan uh, moves in the right direction. And as I recall, aren't you guys pretty much clear of that um, incredible dead money purgatory you've been in for the last couple of years? I think we're scared with the projected cap next year. We'll have about forty million to spend. Wow, I feel like you guys have gone into every year forty million like over the cap and had to trim down. Under, so, yeah, yeah. So, no, so that's, that's pretty, pretty huge. Nice change of pace. So it, this this was a near comeback. Uh, what, uh, how, like, what, uh, how did you guys start putting points on the board? What changed late in the game, Chris? The Falcons stopped playing. Oh yeah, that'll do it. That was, that was my <laughs> guess. 
Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a, again, the, the optimism as a Saints fan. Michael Thomas is a stud. Um, you know, he, he came in and he's taken every, uh, every record for a Saints receiver as a rookie. And Breeze just started feeding him. You know, we, we went away from the run, which, shocking. But, you know, because the Falcons defense was locking him up pretty, uh, pretty early. And Thomas just kind of uh, put on a clinic on Collins there and got him back into the game. And so, uh, is uh, talk about uh, people who were chosen came to play. Uh, Tim, I'm not sure if you recall. Before the season started, we're doing our um, previews of all the different divisions, and you and I were talking about the the Falcons. And I was just kind of talking about how I I don't know if uh, Matt Ryan is good or bad because we've seen both Matt Ryan's. Is Matt Ryan the MVP this year? If he's not, then Roger Goodell is making up for suspending Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> I mean. They're... It's inexcusable. I mean, the MVP stands for most valuable player. And I get it. You can you can make the argument that Brady has been phenomenal. You know, what, 28 touchdowns and two interceptions? Not going to lie, that's remarkable. But they weren't bad without him. If Matt Schaub is the starter for these Falcons, we're not the number two seed. We're not in the playoffs. We're not. Tampa Bay would be your NFC South champion. Matt Ryan has been amazing. And everybody's like, oh, Julio Jones, Julio Jones. We put up 40-plus points two games in a row without Julio Jones. And there's been games where Julio has just disappeared. We made Taylor Gabriel, a guy that the Browns released, look damn good. Like, to the point where, like, Taylor Gabriel is coming out of every fantasy analyst's mouth. Like, come on. Like, Matt Ryan has done phenomenal things. Tevin Coleman learned how to catch and not fumble this year. Can you can you tell me who our starting tight end was today? No. Uh, no. You can't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, Matt Ryan is is putting things together and being phenomenal. I mean, he's got the record for, what, most consecutive 200-yard games. He was 53 yards away from 5,000 yards this year. He's got the best passer rating for an entire year, like almost in NFL history, I think it's like over 115. That's, that's incredible. Like there's, there's no reason he should not be the MVP. And if they're not legitimately, I mean, something happened to where Goodell was just like, Hey, uh, new England. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. And people who are saying Ezekiel Elliott, just because he's a rookie. Hey, last time I checked, they have an award for rookies. Ezekiel Elliott. You're not my MVP. That offensive line is the only reason you're good right now because that offensive line is amazing. Anybody could run for 1,600 yards behind that offensive line. So speaking of uh, great quarterbacks, um, you've got one there uh, in New Orleans. Now that your season's coming down to an end, um, you know, and this is, this is just immediately after the game, what, uh, how are you feeling about how the season went? Um, what, what, what's going to happen with, with Drew Brees, Sean Payton? What's... Uh, um, you know, kind of look at the past, look at the future. What's going on here, Chris? Well, real quick, I, I would put a pin in that. I want to answer that question about Matt Ryan being the MVP. Man. He will be because the media is tired of the Patriots. During this game, they talked about how Dan Quinn should be coach of the year at 10 and 5. When Belichick's gone 14 and 2. 11 and 5. Have Brady for this four. Or 11 and <laughs> the middle game. Did you just like forget that. that we beat you? I'm sorry. It was right there. I had to take it. Was it. During okay. the game, they said 10 and 5. Um, but no, you have the Patriots went 14-2 and two that didn't have Brady for four weeks. But Bilicek's not even in consideration. It should go to Brady. Ryan's had an amazing year. It'll go to him, but I think just because the media is tired of talking about the Patriots. As far as the Saints go, 
I mean, Breeze is under contract. He threw for uh, 5,000 yards again. It's the fifth time he's done it. Nobody's done it twice. And Peyton, I mean, who knows? You know, it, it seems like another one of your fantastic Ian Rappaport reports. Those never seem to be right. Okay, I think he said that Sean Payton would be fired or traded the past three years running. So we'll see what happens. It'd be stupid to get rid of him. Our office is not the problem, and we're moving in the right direction. So, yeah, I we'll think see. that's a good point. I mean, if Ian Rappaport told me that it was going to be sunny, I would t- grab my umbrella before I left for the day, um, just, just to be on the safe side. Um, so uh, uh, we know what your offseason plans are, uh, Chris. Uh Tim, you don't have time to worry about the offseason yet. Uh, you got one week uh, off, but then you're right back to it. Um, what, what are your prospects? Are, are you feeling super? I feel phenomenal. The only thing that would make me feel better is if Desmond Trufant wasn't out for the year. Uh, he, he's remarkable, but, I mean, Jalen Collins, ever since that dude quit smoking weed, he's been really good. I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you stop smoking <laughs> weed, you get better at your job. He's he was really good. That interception he had was a good interception today. He's got two in back to back weeks. So, you know, I'm uh I'm feeling pretty good. Um, you know, there's a couple teams that still scare me, but knowing that we don't have to go to Seattle and at the very worst, we have to go to Dallas. Okay, Matt Ryan in a dome all through the playoffs. I I'm on board. And then the Super Bowls in what? Houston? Okay, it's warm there, I think. I don't know. Is it warm in Houston? I know nothing about Houston. So, but I'm not looking at Houston yet. First, I need to find out who we're even going to be playing, but that's in two weeks. Next weekend, I get to enjoy my Sunday. It's my nephew's birthday. I'm going to go hang out with him, and I'm not even going to worry about football. It's going to be dope. <laughs> All right, guys, there you have it. Uh, the, the the Falcons are uh, have locked up the, the two seed. The Saints have locked up an early vacation. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, uh, been, a, been a great year. Can't wait to talk to you guys more. Yep, see ya. Later, buddy. Back again with Justin, the Seahawks superfan. This time I'm here with Lewis, the Victoria superfan of the Denver Broncos, and Monty, the going to the playoff superfan of the Raiders. So let's go ahead and start off with the victor right off the bat. Uh, Lewis, this game did not have important implications for your team, but you had an opportunity to play spoilers. And boy, did you. Uh, uh, why don't you tell us what went down in this game? Um, I mean, it was easier for us to match up this time against Oakland just because obviously Derek Carr wasn't playing and the run game won't be as effective if your main quarterback isn't such a huge threat. So we were missing a bunch of players, but we were all, we were able to stop the run, which is a big uh, question for the game. And also, our offense got us to a good start, which usually doesn't happen. So if our offense gets a couple of big leads, you know, the less teams are able to run on you, that's the focus more on the pass. So it was that type of game. Denver got off to a, a big lead. Oakland had some chances. I know McGowan just Cooper, which would have been a, I don't know, an 80 or 70-yard touchdown, cut it to like 14-7 or 7-0 or something like that. But, um, I mean, it's bittersweet. I'm happy we won. I, I, I really, really dislike Oakland. But in the real, real long run, it would have made sense for us to lose with the better draft pick and all. But if we had to get a win, I'm happy it's against Oakland. And uh, that's really all I have to say about that. Now, slip it to the other side. Monty, you were staring at a first-round bye. You had one job. One job, Monty. What happened? I feel like... Uh... 
the McGloin clan was betrayed by Robert the Bruce, and I lifted up that black helmet at the end of the Braveheart movie, and there was Lewis's face just laughing at me. Now I'm laying on the table, and they're ripping my guts out. That's literally how I feel right now. Yeah, that that about sums it up. I mean, uh, I, th- I think you said it. Uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody sharing a tweet to, to our Slack group or what, saying that... Uh, Matt McGloin made the best case for Derek Carr uh, for MVP um, that a- anybody has made all year for anyone, and and I think that that's pretty well put. I mean that offense it doesn't operate without Derek Carr. Um, it was sad, and there was I think Lewis just threw it out there. Mari uh, Cooper had a beautiful double move. He was wide open. It would have been like an 80-yard touchdown run. You just got to hit him in a wide open pass, and he overthrew him. It was it was brutal. The offensive line got manhandled by Denver. And, you know, you talk about MVP. I also, I mean, I'm not a big fan of stats. And here we are at the end of the game. The defense needs to make a play. And Khalil Mack did not make a play. And Von Miller did. I think if Von Miller wins the defensive MVP nod, I, I don't even have anything I can say about it. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that, Lewis? And Von had a great year, but there's a bunch of other players who had phenomenal years. Uh, Vic Beasley, I think, leads the league in sacks. Eric Berry had a couple of really game-changing plays that Bobby Wagner was really tackles. Nobody heard that, Justin. Nobody heard that, Justin. Nobody cares about Bobby Wagner's tackles. Just just adding my two cents. Gotcha. No, but um, there are a lot of deserving players, and it's tough because Vaughn had an exceptional year, and it's uh, it's unfortunate that we didn't do enough on offense to to make the playoffs. But a silver lining for Oakland is I actually do think they have a – legitimate chance of beating Houston in Houston. Like, I definitely think that game's a coin flip. Houston's not so great against the run. I know uh, both teams' quarterbacks are inept, so, I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of a toss-up game. I'll deal with Houston next week when I've sobered up a little bit, but do you think that there is a... a, a, a I mean, I heard going into this week that we were going to see a little Paxton Lynch, and I think Kubiak, it, much like you... It's like, this is Oakland Raiders week. I want to stick my foot on their throat, and there's no way I'm bringing in the backup nobody. I was, I mean, the, the Denver came to play. They played a hell of a game, and from the opening opening play, Denver owned this game. And I was a little bit surprised I didn't get to see a little Paxton Lynch. I, that's what I was hoping for. I mean, the reason why I don't think Paxton Lynch played today was because of the reports that Gary Kubiak might leave. So there's really no point of him uh, trying to develop a quarterback if this is indeed his last game. So I think the players rallied around him and uh, wanted to uh, play their best uh, game that they could in order to get him a victory. If it is indeed his last game, it's tough. I think he's one of the better coaches in the league. And, uh, yeah, but like I um, – it was a good win, big win against the division. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that real quick. Um, the the report is uh, that potentially uh, Gary Kup, uh, Kubiak is retiring due to some health reasons. Um, I know that um, if you he does have a history of like having missed a, a game or two here and there due to some health concerns. So what do you think about about that, Lewis? Um, h- uh, how do you feel seeing him go? I mean, he is a uh, he won a Super Bowl for your franchise a year uh, last year. Um, is he a, a great coach? Is he a coach who is in a great situation? Is he replaceable? What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think he's I think he's a good coach. It's very it's very hard for me and I think regular average fans to judge coaches, but uh, I think he's a good coach. I mean, we had we definitely had a lot of talent. I definitely think there's a difference between him and John Fox, which was able to uh, to get us over the the hump. I mean, Wade Phillips helped also, but. 
yeah, it's going to be definitely be a loss. But I'm a little disappointed that the run game wasn't as effective as it should have been the last two years. The guy's calling card is his running game, and we weren't able to to be successful on the ground. And um, it's tough that he has to leave the way that it, that it, that he is because because of injuries and health concerns. So it's a it's a tough blow. I actually think he's a pretty solid coach. And I'm really not sure who we're going to go after. People are saying Kyle Shanahan. It makes a lot of sense. If you put one and two together, they run similar type of offenses. But, uh, yeah, it's tough. I, I hope for the best. And uh, I hope uh, he changes his mind and he'll come back next year. Do you think yeah, I'm not sure if running a similar offense back? is a uh, ringing endorsement for somebody coming into that franchise right now. Well, I was going to say, do you think uh, Wade Phillips would stick around and coach with uh, Kyle Shanahan, or do you think Wade Phillips would legitimately want to be the head coach of this team? I don't think I don't think he's in the position that he would want to be head coach. I think it's defensive coordinator or nothing. His contract also expires, which is uh, pretty interesting, but I don't think he's going to want uh, head coaching responsibility. I think he loves doing what he does on the defensive end, and uh, I think he really enjoys it, and he won't want to – um, continue to try to be a head coach at this age. How old is he? Uh, he's he's definitely one of the older ones, and I mean we've we've he's, seen that before. We've seen him coach a few times. It hasn't worked out. But uh, I want to flip this back to to you, Monty. Um, so uh, he's heading. Uh, Lewis is heading into an off-season coaching search. You're heading into the playoffs. So I'm just going to ask you right off the top, who who needs to be your starting quarterback next week? I think. Uh, Derek Carr, if you want me to, I mean, the, uh, McGloin looked awful. This this was terrible. This was a terrible performance for McGloin. I was hoping he was going to get out there and earn himself some Matt Flynn money, and that didn't happen. Going into uh, Houston next week, I don't think it matters. Both these quarterbacks are terrible. The running backs need to shine, and the defense need to step up, or this is a one-and-done to just a, 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 a nice season that nobody will ever care about other than me. Um, I would like to see Matt McGloin come back. I don't know how bad he hurt his shoulder or if it was a concussion that kept him out or what. I mean, we'll never really know until the practice report gets released on Wednesday. I'd like to see Matt McGloin because he has at least taken second team reps. I mean, literally Donald Penn, uh, was quoted saying, you know, this week was the first time I've heard Connor Cook's voice in a huddle all year long. So he had a good second half, but it was literally out of reach. I mean, when he came in, the game was over. So there was no urgency there. I mean, Texans are going to give him everything he's got, are, are going to step up to play, and I'm assuming it's going to be a closer game. So I'd like to see the Connor uh, Matt McGloin, the Clan McGloin, get another shot even though that was a brutal performance six for 11 21 yards that was like reggie bush out there man that's terrible i mean it was a tough spot also i mean i don't know going into denver that was a very good pass defense i mean you gotta cut him uh some slack you know it wasn't like he played uh the niners or uh or Cleveland. Oh, I, I don't put the full blame on this loss to uh, Matt McGloin. The offensive line sucked. The defense sucked. They had five penalties in the first quarter that sucked. I mean, it's like you're going into the playoffs, you have a chance for a first-round bye, and you come out and play that flat-footed. That was a terrible – I mean, 
at the end of the day, doesn't that come down on Blackjack Del Rio? That if, if he doesn't win coach of the year, I'm comfortable with that because you had everything to play for today against a team that you've beaten in the past and you have – that was awful. So, yeah, I, think I mean the that – the third and 18 call was uh, actually a game changer. I think uh, Oakland stopped Denver and they accepted a holding penalty. And then Devontae Booker had the screen pass and a touchdown, which really, uh, which really opened up the game. That's when I switched to a uh, hard alcohol. I put the beers away and I switched to the hard stuff. That was a brutal, brutal series. There, there, there must be a correlation there. I wonder if we can, we can work on a hard alcohol sponsorship for next season. But on that note, guys, um, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut it off uh, before we talk all night. Monty Lewis, very, very great having both of you on. Uh, Monty, I'm sure we'll be talking next week. And Lewis, I'll bet as soon as we've got some uh, head coaching news, uh, we'll be having some conversations as well. So thank you both very much. Right. Have a good one, guys. Yeah, thanks, Justin. I wanted to say, uh, Lewis. I really wanted to see some pictures of you in a McGloin jersey on the internet, and we lost out on that. So that's just one more thing that pisses me off about this Sunday. I think that's the only reason why I wanted to win today. The only reason I did not want to buy a Raiders jersey. All right, and for more on Monty's kinky fetishes, keep it locked here to Next Fan Up. (laughs) Cheers. All right. This is going to be a little surreal for everybody. This is uh, Justin uh, hosting Nick, as opposed to the reverse, which is normally what happens uh, today. Uh, so Nick is our chief super fan. You guys were victorious today, uh, taking on the the uh, ghosts uh, of the San Diego Chargers. Um, so Nick, why don't you walk us through what happened today? Well, it was basically uh, setting things up to be exactly the way I predicted this entire season. Uh, as we were talking before this season, I expected the Chiefs to come out on top of this division with the Raiders falling slightly behind and the, the, the Denver Broncos falling back. And, and this is due to the, the way that things shook out today. That's exactly what happened. The Chiefs, uh, most importantly, more important than anything that happened in this game, uh, due to the, the Oakland loss, the, the fact that the Chiefs win the division, they move up from the fifth seed to the second seed. They get themselves a first-round bye. Uh, but in this game, you know, I mean, it was it was sort of typical of what you see out of both of these teams. Uh, this Chargers team is just so injured uh, that Philip Rivers has to try to make everything happen on his on his own. He did have uh, you know a couple of touchdowns. He looked good at, on some plays, but because he's just stretching to make things happen, he also threw a couple of bad picks. Um, and you know, the, the Chiefs' defense is one that will take advantage of all those sort of opportunities. They continue to be soft against the run, but again, that is why the first round bye is so important. Uh, the Chiefs did designate their uh, the linebacker, Justin March-Lillard, to return from IR. Uh, he's been out since early this season with a, a broken hand. And uh, and I think having that extra week to both get him back integrated, there's also guys that we've been holding out like Justin Houston the last two weeks. Um, Macklin kind of tweaked his uh, himself a little bit. Uh, Barry has like kind of a sore heel. There's just like there's guys that are nicked up all over our, our roster. And I think last year when we went on the road into Foxborough, that really was – you know, potentially the deciding factor in that game. It ended up being a, a, a close game um, that, uh, you, know, you know, in the AFC um, that uh, the Chiefs dropped by a touchdown, and they were in that game without Macklin, without Houston, without a lot of their key pieces. And I think the lesson they learned this year was they had to do everything they could to get that first round by um, because, I mean, a lot of those guys like Macklin uh, were injured in their wild card round uh, matchup against Houston. Um, and so they're – they've set themselves up to be able to go into some serious playoff football healthy um, with their first game in Arrowhead. So that's the most exciting part for me. 
Yeah, I mean, this Chiefs team is looking strong, and it's got there's an explosive element on offense um, that hasn't been there in previous years. And really, I'm, I'm talking about uh, uh, Tyreek Hill. Um, he had an, another um, just dynamic touchdown. I want to stay on a kickoff return, something like that, or punt return. Uh, one of the two. Um, man, he's been he's been such a find. Um, you know, so you you kind of talk about how you know the there is some vulnerability there on the defense, um, but uh, this offense I think uh, could be pr- pretty good in the playoffs. So like, how are you feeling about your chances overall? Are you feeling like this is a Super Bowl caliber team? Um, what's your confidence level heading into the playoffs? I definitely think this is a team that can make a run. Um, if you look at some of the matchups, I mean, uh, probably what this means is that uh, the Chiefs will be receiving, assuming the Steelers beat the the Dolphins, which is, you know, uh, you know, you, you can't necessarily assume that they didn't they didn't beat them the last time around. But I think that's what what most people will be favoring is, is we're going to be welcoming the Steelers to Arrowhead, and that's going to be a matchup that's going to test us a lot. But and and remember, I mean, basically all of the Chiefs' losses have been pretty close, uh, all of their four losses this year, except for uh, the, the time when we got blew, blown out by the Steelers earlier this season on national television. Granted, that was one of those games where we uh, still had a lot of question marks in the secondary. We hadn't figured out what, who we were going to start at cornerback uh, across from uh, Marcus Peters. Uh, we basically turned over the ball three times on our side of the field, and, and, and that ended up going up, going down 22 to nothing in the first quarter. I mean, it was just an absolute uh, Murphy's Law sort of game. Um, and I just, I just don't expect things to go that same way. I think the, the Steelers are a little more vulnerable than they were uh, back then uh, due to injuries and, and things like that. And the Chiefs are, are a lot more of a whole team than they were at that time. And, and definitely Arrowhead's a different type of place to play. Um, but, I mean, look, I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen is it's going to be we're probably going to have to beat the Steelers and we're going to have to still go on the road to Foxborough if this team is going to go to the Super Bowl. And, um, and it, it, it's just going to be interesting to see. I think the emergence of Travis Kelsey – as a more significant threat, uh, the biggest thing that the, the the Patriots were able to do last year was they were basically able to bracket him and eliminate him as a threat. And because Macklin was out, there was just nothing else the Chiefs could do offensively. Now they have Tyree Kill as a weapon that draws a lot of coverage, at least it should, because anytime he's matched up one on one, he's gonna make something happen. You still have Macklin; he'll be healthier. I mean, he'll be healthy uh, as opposed to last year. So I mean, I, I think this team is really well set up. And look, I mean, we're going to have Justin Houston back. We've actually had, uh, you know, emerging uh, other pass rushing weapons like D Ford this year. Uh, this is definitely a stronger team than than went into the playoffs last year. And so, yeah, I, I think that uh, they're going to be a lot of people's dark horse, and uh, you know, to, to make it to the to be the AFC representative for the Super Bowl. Now, on the the flip side, um, you know, I would say you probably know the Chargers better than anybody outside of Ken, our uh, Chargers super fan. Um, they're getting a lot of guys back from IR. Uh, a lot of guys. Is that going to be enough to to make them a potential contender? Um, what 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 more? Just kind of you know, right after the season ends, you know, quick impression. What what more do they need to do in order to be able to compete in that AFC West? Well, I mean, the I, I definitely think they can be competitive. I think they always are. Um, the, the thing is with the Chargers, you know, they show their their banners hanging up in Qualcomm, possibly the last game ever played there in San Diego. And, you know, the last time they won the division was 2009. And this is a team that you always look at and say, this is an extremely talented team. This is a team that could make it to the AFC Championship. They could, they could make a Super Bowl run. They're always a sexy pick for, for that kind of thing because they have a quarterback. They have a lot of good weapons. Granted, they get banged up seemingly every year. But, I mean, they just – but it's not just – and everyone gets surprised by that. Me as a as – a, an AFC West watcher, 
I view them as being a team that just chokes every year, no matter what. I mean, it's been seven now straight seasons where despite having potentially, you know, one of, if not the most talented rosters in the division, they just don't get it together. And I mean, injuries are, you know, obviously a, a serious part of that, but you know, they, they got to be asking themselves if they're ever going to make it to the promised land while Philip Rivers still has time. And if, and if they think they can do that, they need to probably sell out um, in terms of the way that they approach their front office decisions in order to surround them with the talent to do it. I don't, I, I think they will be a good team next year, but this is such a good division. There's a, you know, all bets are off. Um, I, you know, I think there's a different team with Keenan Allen, with Melvin Gordon, with, uh, with Woodhead. Um, they can be a lot more dangerous and they were, look, I mean, they, most of their games, they lost close this year. So, and this was a game where they showed both sides I mean, they showed how, uh, sort of undermanned they were in large uh, you know, sections of their roster, and they also showed that they can, you know, make some uh, some big chunk plays. They can they can score as long as Philip Rivers is there, and he can get you know reasonably well protected. So, um, I think there's still definitely hope for, for Chargers fans, um, but uh, you know, hope has been a fickle mistress for them in the last you know ten years or so. Well, there you have it. The Chiefs uh, threw some uh, little bit of luck with uh, Mr. McGloin down in Oakland and through uh, taking care of business themselves, move on, have a bye. You got the week off. Uh, so uh, congratulations uh, to you. Good luck in the playoffs. Thanks. And uh, maybe we'll be seeing you there in, uh, in a few weeks. <laughs> I, I, I would welcome it. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to talk about two of my division rivals, the L.A. Rams. Versus the Arizona Cardinals, two teams which, unfortunately for me, managed to sneak out wins against my team. Um, man, not a, not a lot of implications for this game, but it's still a division game, and there's still a lot of pride on the line. There's still a lot to see. Uh, and, man, did the Arizona Cardinals really thump the Rams. Final score of 44-6. to I think for a lot of people, this was the Cardinals team that they expected to see for a lot of the year. And for a lot of people, this was the Rams team that they expected to see for a lot of the year. So let's talk about the storylines here. Larry Fitzgerald uh, led the league in receptions again. Um, this was like his fifth straight year of over 1,000 yards and over 100 receptions. Um, easy, easy Hall of Famer in my book. Um, uh, and I say that as a division rival. Uh, you can't put him in the Hall quickly enough. Carson Palmer played really, really well. Um, I don't know, maybe because this was a completely meaningless game, some of the pressure is off. I, I still don't have any faith uh, in the team with him at quarterback right now. I think he's pretty done. Um, but the big story for the Cardinals, though, is um, David Johnson, um, possibly the best offensive player in the league, in the first quarter was carted off. Um, that means uh, his shot of going over 100 scrimmage yards in every game of the season ends in the final game of the season, which is really unfortunate. From watching it, the way his leg bent it looked like it was pretty bad, but he was able to limp off the field, and he stood on the sideline after. I'm hoping that's a good sign. Um, you know, Hopefully he's got some nice elasticity in that knee and things like that to kind of uh, minimize the amount of tearing so he you know, has a good recovery and can, can be at full strength come training camp and once the season starts. Um, on the other side of the ball, big story is just how bad the Rams are. Um, they scored six points today, uh, and that, that's kind of a trend with them. Uh, Jared Goff has been abysmal. Um, I didn't like him coming out of school. Um, he, he went 0 for 7, 7 interceptions, 5 touchdowns in his uh, starts for the Rams. Um, the Rams had a total of 482 yards combined over the their last three games. That's that's just not very good. Um, NFL's worst offense again. Um, this is another situation though. They've got some pieces. They've got a uh, a nice defensive line. Todd Gurley 
man, did he come down a lot this year over last year. Um, that is partially his fault. You can't blame that entirely on an offensive line, but you do got to put some blame there as well. Diminished quarterback play obviously allowed other teams to put an extra guy in the back much more. Uh, sorry, in the box much more often. That has an impact. Of these two teams, I think the Cardinals are much more likely to bounce back and have a good year last year. They did finish pretty strong, and there are more pieces on on that team. The Rams, I don't know. They don't have any draft picks. Um, they don't have any good players really. Um, they don't have a head coach, so not a lot of hope there. Um, which, as a uh, NFC West guy, yeah, can't complain. I'm here now with Brian, the Green Bay Packers super fan, uh, who probably has ha- has had the wildest ride this season of downs, and then very very up. So uh, I'm gonna guess you're feeling pretty up right now, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't probably not feel any more up. Yeah, so um, the Green Bay Packers, and I, you've asked me at the midpoint of the season, I didn't think I was going to say this. NFC North champions, they knock off the Detroit Lions in a game that was for all the marbles. Uh, that means that they've earned themselves a home game. Uh, that means that um, I get to welcome Matthew Stafford and welcome back uh, Golden Tate to Seattle here in a week. Uh, this was an important game. Like th- This was significant. Yeah, definitely. There was a, definitely a little pressure that was taken off when Washington lost earlier in the day. We knew both of these teams were going to make the playoffs. It was all kind of about seeding, but I don't think you really saw a different game um, from Green Bay as a result. I think they didn't really do what I was expecting them to do and try to pass the ball all over the yard. This game, we really put a lot of time and effort into moving the ball on the ground. I think there was 31 carries and Rodgers only had 39 uh, pass attempts. So that's uh, as close to a 50-50 split as you're likely to find in Green Bay. Yeah, so what what did you see from this game? I mean, um, let, let's not pretend like, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. Um, but, but outside, you know, is, is he, is he back? You know, we talked at length earlier this year about how he seemed to be in a funk. Things haven't been going that well, but no, he's went on to have one of the best, like four or five game stretches in his career, as I recall. Yeah, he's playing pretty well. I was looking up his, uh, passer ratings, uh, for the last five, six games. And I think every one of them is over a hundred and 10 except against the bears where we where he was 87 so he's been playing lights out you can tell he's back to feeling healthy uh, has been healthy in his legs the last few weeks now um, and he's not afraid to pull that ball down and run uh, as we saw him do many times today yeah let's talk a little bit about the the running um aaron Rodgers had didn't run a ton but the runs he had were were pretty nice to say he didn't run, run a ton i guess he led the, the team in carries with 10 um <laughs> Uh, but like, let, let's talk about Ty Montgomery and you and I were chatting about him a few minutes ago. Um, you know, when, when Eddie Lacy was gone, you and I talked about Ty Montgomery and we kind of laughed, laughed at the situation, right? Oh, okay. It's basically nobody, you know, it's, it's going to be me and you next. They're shoving a wide receiver in there to die. Poor guy. Ha ha ha. Man, I'm not going to, uh, Ty Montgomery, <laughs> Ty Montgomery is pretty good. Yeah, he's a good little football player. He also made that uh, heads-up play that we were talking about at the early part of the season two on the kickoff where he kind of laid himself out of bounds and reached in to grab it and got the extra 30-yard penalty. Uh, oh, so that's he's right. A, he's Probably a smart guy. Yeah, and he, I will admit too that he's been a much better running back than I was expecting. You know, you think about kind of his, him as a player, he's short and pretty thickly built. So he's actually kind of got the shape of around. I think he's 220 pounds. Um, and I think most people, when you think about him, you just think he's short and he's not particularly fast when it comes to 
playing wide receiver um, where he really hasn't had much of an impact. But with him in the backfield, it has really added a whole new dimension to the Packers offense. We're able to move him around uh, and kind of dictate some of those matchups or uh, kind of call plays that are going to put us in uh, in favorable uh, matchup situations. The other couple of things I, that I wanted to talk about with Montgomery were just his patience. You saw it tonight again. He's willing to take that handoff and just stand, stand, stand. And when he sees that crease, hit it hard. And he can also move people. He finishes his runs. Uh, uh, he's not, you don't see him get tackled backwards very frequently. So, yeah, he's been a revelation kind of along those same lines. Aaron Ripkowski had a heck of a game tonight. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Um, but he's another guy that uh, does a does a great John Kuhn impression and um, maybe gives a little bit more uh, speed to that position than, than the former Packer. Um, but he had a nice game tonight too, nine carries for 61 yards, a 6.8 yard average. So um, we'll talk about the lines a little bit more in a sec, but um, uh, Aaron Rodgers for MVP. He certainly got my votes. This is one of those weird years for MVP, I feel like, where there's not really a single person that kind of jumps off the screen as like a no-doubter, this guy's going to be the MVP. So um, there's certainly plenty of guys that are are eligible and probably deserve to win. Um, I wonder, though, if because there's only – because there's such a – a great number of players that are um, kind of all up for the MVP and nobody's really differentiated themselves. Um, if we're going to see another split MVP decision that we've seen uh, in the last 10, 20 years, I think there's been a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, the, the old cop out. Good call. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> so let's talk about the Detroit Lions though, because you know, this wasn't a blowout. I mean, they were in this game. It was competitive all the way through. Uh, the Packers separated a little bit in the fourth quarter, but this was a very good football game. What did you see out of Matthew Stafford? Uh, what did you see out of uh, the Detroit Lions offense here? I think the part that stood out about Matt Stafford to me was he he made a couple of boneheaded plays or kind of one of some of those throws that we've seen from him, and we we didn't really make make the play. I think you saw, they were talking about the pass that went right to Clay Matthews. There's another one. Um, I think it was to Legereus Gunter who probably should have caught the ball, but he's playing well. I think he's got a, a good offensive coordinator that is able to kind of keep him um, making smart decisions uh, and really try to limit some of those boneheaded plays. So um, he's definitely played his best year, um, but it wasn't quite good enough today. And uh, kind of on that that same token, um, it was, they they mentioned a stat during tonight's well not a stat kind of a uh, I don't know a bit of trivia or something during tonight's broadcast that I thought was really interesting. Um, they're talking about uh, Calvin Johnson and his retirement. They also talk about uh, Barry Sanders and his retirement, and how both played on basically unendingly terrible teams. Yet in both cases, the year after both those players retired, the teams went to the playoffs. Um, <laughs> It's kind of food food for thought. <laughs> um, any any thoughts uh, on uh, what what might be going on there? Uh, I don't know. I I refuse to believe that by subtracting a Barry Sanders or a Calvin Johnson from a team that it actually makes you better. But uh, I guess the way that the season's played out, uh, that you could make that argument. Yeah, I just I just found that to be I just really, really interesting. Um. So then, um. Well, go ahead and flip it back. Uh. Your your defense has had an up and down year. Yes, Where they, are they have. Now? Are they up or are they down? 
Well, I think we're about to find out. It's We have another rash of injuries at cornerback, so I think that's going to be a mitigating factor for our defense um, for probably the rest of the year. I don't know that Demarius Randall's ever really been uh, 100%, um, and it we, looks like we lost uh, Quentin Rollins for uh, a foreseeable time here uh, with that really scary neck injury. Um, I guess they had to bring him to the hospital afterwards. Uh, so we're going to be down to, you know, our one and or, I'm sorry, our number two corner and our number four. And then you mix in a bunch of the safeties like we did today. The good news is like a lot of the players that we have taken that we have playing safety are also pretty athletic. Uh, so you can take Micah Hyde and put him in the slot and you can take Morgan Burnett and, and play him in the slot too. And you're not going to lose a, a ton of um ton of coverage ability by doing that really it's gonna the, the impact is kind of on the, the outside outside the numbers when you got kind of the the number two and number four corners uh, basically playing one and two so the season has just ended uh it just wrapped up where you're about to head into the playoffs you got uh, a week off how how super are you feeling right now are you feeling like this is a uh, team that could be hosting the lombardi I feel like with Rodgers, all things are possible. And with if the offense can hang 31 every week, we're going to be in position to fight in every game. Um, really, the question is going to come down to the defense. And can we get three or four stops a game, uh, stop them from scoring anything? And I think that's going to be the difference. And I think we saw tonight, I've, I've not been a, a very big fan of Dom Capers uh, at various points over his Packers career, but I think uh, just looking at the injuries that we have on that side of the ball and still being able to hold the Lions to, well, it's 24, but the, it was 17 um, before they threw that kind of Hail Mary-esque pass at the end. But I think he's been playing or calling a really great game. And I think Mike McCarthy, too, has been uh, calling a pretty good game. You saw a lot of creativity today, um, some different formations. You saw a naked bootleg by Rodgers on third and one to pick up the, the first down. So I think I think we're peaking at the right time. I certainly would not want to play against us in the playoffs. I'll put it that way. <laughs> well, there you go, everybody. Um... Just like Aaron Rodgers called his shot to run the table, Brian has called his shot that he's guaranteeing a <laughs> Super Bowl. Uh, with, with, with that, Brian, I will leave you. Enjoy the rest of your night. Savor this victory and enjoy your week off. <laughs> Thanks. You too, Justin. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of the Next Fan Up Podcast, the last regular season week of the Next Fan Up Podcast. We will be back tomorrow with our power ranks, Neil and I. Uh, thank you to all the super fans, especially the ones who didn't make the playoffs, so we, we may not talk to them too much for the next little while. Um, but I really appreciate it. Um, guys, uh, love, love doing the show. Uh, love, uh, all the, the friends that I've made through this really thankful for you guys listening throughout the season. Um, please spread the word about it, like it, share it. You'll find us on Twitter at NFU podcast, find us on Facebook just by searching next fan up. You can also find our website, wordpress.nextfanup.com. Um, you can email us and we're looking for a couple of super fans for the Titans and the lions and the, the Buccaneers. Uh, that's nextfanup at gmail.com. Um, fun note, by the way, if any of you got like the uh, um, uh, Echo uh, by Amazon for, for Christmas, I, I know it's really popular. Um, that, uh, if you say Alexa, play the Next Fan Up podcast, it will find us on TuneIn. Um, so that's yet another way that, that, you, that you can find us. So if you go over to your buddy's house and they have that, um, do us all a favor and uh, get them hooked on the show that way. Um, other than that, I'm going to turn it over to 
at least for now, is the outro. We might want to consider a new one, because right now I feel like we're just picking on an unemployed guy. But at least for now, regular citizen, uh, Jeff Fisher, there you have it. Well, I think we learned today that, um, you know, this game is four quarters long. Through the magic of editing, we'll make that disappear. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.